Single simulcast is about a lot of things. This podcast may make you laugh, cry, or pound your fists into your desk. If you hear something you like or something you don't, leave a voicemail at 916-572-9016 or email us at singlesimulcast at gmail.com. One. Single. Simulcast. So I came prepared this time. I have water and tea, so my voice doesn't give out in the middle of the show. Oh, shit! <laughs> Single Simulcast, episode 269. I don't know what we're going to do at episode 300. I'm not even thinking that far ahead. That's like next year. Like the end of next year will be episode 300, and then it's going to be a big blowout. I don't I don't know. I'm just guessing. The last two uh, century numbers, I have promised huge blowouts and nothing happens. It's like when your mom uh, says that when she gets home from work, uh, she's going to take you out to McDonald's. And so you're sitting there all excited. And then she comes home from work, heck of tired. And kids, I, I don't think you should be listening to this show. But kids, I just want to let you know, your parents have the best intentions when they make that promise to you that they're going to take you to McDonald's or they're going to take you to In-N-Out or whatever. But then their boss gets in them. And then they have a meeting where it should only be five minutes, but the person in the back raises their hand and says they don't understand how to open up a computer. They don't know how that works. And so the five-minute meeting turns into 45 minutes right before lunch. So it goes straight through lunch, and they only get five minutes to eat lunch. And then they got to go back to their desk, and right as they're about to leave, somebody plops down a whole bunch of TPS reports on their desk. Um, they come home, and they're, they're tired. They're dead tired, and they want to sleep. So they, uh, instead of taking you to McDonald's, they take you to Rashani's place, uh, which is basically at this point we've gotten better about it when we were kids it was a meatball uh with onions in it uh with a little bit of ketchup stuck between two pieces of wonder white not even wonder it was that uh just 69 cent white bread that would turn to mush as soon as the meatball was set on top of it not even any cheese to protect it from all the juice that was flowing off of that meatball and you couldn't even eat it with your hand you tried to pick it up and the whole meatball just dropped through the middle leaving you with a square piece of bread with a hole in the middle we apologize for nothing um when we take you to McDonald's, <laughs> it's a gift. And that means that we've all had a good day. If you have a good day at home because I said I was going to take you to McDonald's and I feel like I helped you out. I feel like I feel like I made your day better. And um, speaking of making your day better, we're recording this one on a wonderful Friday morning. And what's a morning without some bacon? Bacon, welcome back to the show. Tell them something about yourself. We have missed you. Tell them something about your show. The floor is yours. Oh, my gosh. Um, I've been basically living the last two, three weeks just watching anime and playing video games. So that, that's been my life. Um, the show, I believe we're going to be back on to um, normal schedule soon. Everybody's life, like, super exploded all at the same time. But we've got the cut cast, which is uh, sex positivity with Najela Ree and Aaron. Uh, there's uh, Ad Space, which is with me and Aaron, where we just talk nerd shit and I rant about queer issues. And then uh, there's the the masthead, the Unreasonable Fridays with uh, Dasha and Aaron, where they talk uh, politics and we also talk Star Trek Discovery because Dasha and I are uh, Trekkies for life. 
Um, we're going to be getting a new show, I believe, soon. It's just going to be like a little once a month thing uh, where it's going to be horror movies. And that's going to be really exciting. I'm kind of stoked about that, especially because I'm a wuss. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. How can you be excited about horror movies when you're a wuss and can't make it through aforementioned horror movies? I can make it through during the daylight. Uh. But <laughs> um, uh, mostly because um, working with Aaron's like, Aaron's like a trollish o- older brother who's not a jerk. <laughs> so our back and forth gets pretty entertaining and I'm kind of excited about being mocked a lot. And um, we That's good. Yeah, it's it's always it always makes for a good good laughs. Um, but the person that's actually gonna be hosting it is she's really awesome and I am excited to um, have the uh, the unreasonable Friday so, so um I just gotta ask this question really fast. You're unable to watch horror movies at night. You can only watch them during the day. So that officially makes you a day watcher. Um I'm a day And I just want to clarify a few things. Does that mean you can't watch a horror movie in a movie theater? Um, I can watch it in a movie theater, but if it's night when I come out, it's bad. Oh, I thought that it was like you couldn't watch in a dark room. No, 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 no. It's it's night because I have a really overactive imagination. So, like, I'll come out of the movie theater, and if it's all dark, I'm like, oh god, that wind rustling. Oh god, I'm so alone. Yeah, is there somebody around the corner? (laughs) All the corners are dark, and um, oh god, I'm gonna go to sleep, and now my dreams are gonna be all messed up. <laughs> and I, I'm bad with movies, but I'm worse with survival horror video games. Like I get like like uh, Alien Isolation is a really good one. I got maybe I think my friend and I, my friend and I are both wusses, and we got we played it past the controller style, and we got like a baby an hour and a half into it before we both gave up. Oh wow! Like, I relate. I relate to all of this. Like, we were throwing the controller at each other. Like, no, I don't want to do it. You do it. <laughs> oh, man. I, yeah, I relate to all of this. Because, like, uh, last Christmas, my husband got me a PS4 and got me Until Dawn. And I had already watched playthroughs of Until Dawn, but freak would freak myself out playing the game. Just having to, like, breathe and, like, okay, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this. I had to have my son do stuff. It was just... <laughs> It's so bad. And then, then, uh, you know, Stranger Things just came out the second season. And so finish the show. I'm going outside. I know a Demogorgon is not real, but it's dark outside right where my fence is and there's bushes and everything. And it's just like, oh, my God, what if a Demogorgon was right there? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And then I'm trying to get into the car, freaking myself completely out. It's all messed up. You know know what? It wasn't so long ago that a wonderful movie called Dawn of the Dead came out and I'm not talking about the George Romero version I'm talking about the one with Ving Rhames um, where and I think it's long enough now that I can spoil the end of the movie they thought they got away they hopped on a boat they sailed to a different island and as soon as they got off the island 
more people came out. First of all, the Dawn of the Dead that I'm talking about that came out in like what 2000 and something. It reminds me of the white folks' white flight to suburbs. <laughs> because <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> because as soon as they thought they were getting out of an area, like they were in these nice houses and everything, and then a zombie popped up, so they get out and they run, and everything's going all to hell in the area that they were in because of zombies. So then they go to the mall, and it's the nice mall in the area, and it's quiet, and there's nobody in there. But guess what? Zombies appear from far away. They just show up from somewhere in their area, and all of a sudden, it goes all to hell. Then there's a Russian woman, I believe, if I remember correctly, a Russian woman who's pregnant uh, in in this movie, and uh, she has a baby. But the baby is half zombie, which means that it's useless. And so they kill it as soon as they do they kill it as soon as it comes out because it's tainted with zombie blood. Uh, so then they kill. all. Wait, the- wait, 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 wait. How the hell is a baby half zombie? Like it's not like a vampire or a werewolf. You're either alive <laughs> or you're dead. But, but there's the zombie- no half zombie. I think that did the woman. I'm trying to remember because it's been a while since I watched the movie. Which strange that I have it on DVD. Uh, I think she got bit, and so oh. she became a zombie. And then she was pregnant, so they were like, "We gotta save the baby. We gotta save the baby." And so they cut her open, and the baby was a zombie. I think that that's what happened. And you're absolutely oh right. God. She's she's full on zombie, but. If a zombie bites a, a woman and then the, like, wouldn't it be like a, a half zombie? Half? No! It is dead! It is zombie! <laughs> it's a zombie! It's a zombie. I, mean, it's a, I mean, it either dies, you know, or it's a zombie when it's born, and if it's still, you know, functional. It's oh. not half. Like, <laughs> it's not like her and a zombie went half on a baby or something. It's not, it's not like that. I'm just, I'm just making sure, you know, <laughs> take off your red a qu- dress. Um, quarter zombie. <laughs> you are, you are, you know, biracial. You're, you're half Russian and half zombie. That, 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 that's not how any of this works. Oh, I'm just, I'm just making sure because, you know, in the future, I want to make sure that we are, um, treating zombies with respect. Um, but then, so they hop into buses that are underneath the, uh, the mall that have been taken over by zombies and they roll off into an area um and they everybody they go to a a marina where they're like there's not gonna be any zombies there zombies can't swim zombies can't swim so they go to the marina and the marina has suddenly been taken over by zombies Y'all hear the quotes, right? Just insert black for zombie. And so they kill all these zombies and hop onto a boat and roll out. And as they're rolling out, they forget to grab any food and stuff. So they're all hungry. So they finally make it to an island, which they think is completely safe. They think it's completely just them and that they can repopulate the world and everything will be just fine. And they hop off the boat. And as soon as they get off the boat, zombies approach and attack them and hop on the ship and then the camera goes black and it's awesome problem is oh huh i was gonna say oh my god like this is one of those movies this is the one where the little kid woke up in the morning okay yeah 
totally yeah i made it through like 10 minutes of that movie i feel like we've talked about it on the show before i made it through that that first 10 minutes and it was just like yeah i need to turn this completely off i need to walk out of the room i'm out of here so i had no idea that it ended like this that's so that's so wild when when i first saw this movie it was like you said bacon i watched this movie at the very last showing of the night in a movie theater that was in a um let's just say it wasn't a mall parking lot it was a parking lot where there was a walmart and a home depot it was one of them big business type areas and they had a movie theater in that same parking lot applebee's and jamba juice and all that kind of stuff hooters and uh rubio's and in and out burger all these places were all in the same spot we went to the 10 o'clock showing don't ask me why i was young i didn't have any kids and i didn't know any better and went to the 10 o'clock showing so by the time we got out it was midnight nothing was moving it had just finished raining so it was that muggy humid smell that was just pervasive and nothing was moving and there were water dripping everywhere and you could just hear the birds just crows just flying everywhere and never again (laughs) never again we parked because the, the movie theater was packed. We had to park all the way across the street at the Walmart parking lot. So it was the only car in the parking lot. And you know that in these horror movies, that's when people die. Is <laughs> <laughs> oh when they got to make it to their car. And it's like, okay, dude, you go first. And I'm going to stay here for safety. Because if a zombie pops out of anywhere, I'm eating popcorn while I die. And so I understand. I understand wholeheartedly. I'm laughing at you inside, internally, because I dig you. But I understand. You're a daywalker. Uh, yes. There, there is this really great tabletop game I just experienced called End of the World. <laughs> and <laughs> it's, um, it, it, it's, I'm going to call it LARP light. Because you're not, you're not dressing up. You're not doing anything. Uh, you can play as yourself. But, like, the whole premise is, is like, you're in the city you're in. And then shit pops off. Like, all of a sudden, uh, animals are, like, there's just reports on the news of just, like, random animals attacking. Like, you know, just pet dogs or uh, at the zoo or just, like, birds. And then, like, stuff escalates pretty quickly. Like, a ground starts opening up and, like, these vines are taking over. So you're playing this game and you're navigating, trying to, like, figure out as buildings start crumbling around you and orbs of animals are literally trying to murder you and you're just kind of like walking through the thing and because it's supposed to take place like in the city you're in as if like it's all happening right now after the game is done I was walking around like (laughs) 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 and there's like the animals when they bite you apparently they have super rabies oh god yeah, it was, it was a really fun game, though. That really? Was, that was a fun experience. I'm going to have to add End of the World to uh, to my roster. I, I'll try this out. It, I, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun, but it's also, like, because, again, you're supposed to be LARPing it, like, kind of LARP or playing it um, in, like, the city you're in. Everything is, everything that happens, like, you can visually, like, look out the window and imagine what would happen if there was an earthquake and how that building would fall over. Yeah, that's something yeah. I wouldn't be able to get out of my mind. Yep. yep. Nope. 
<laughs> and we're due for earthquakes. Y'all died yesterday. What are you talking about? Nothing. Uh, I like to. Nope. <laughs> 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 <Yo. laughs> By the way, that other uh, melodious voice you just heard was. Oh, appreciate it, man. Uh, hey, glad to be back. Justin from Three Fifths Podcast, LJ90 on Twitter. And yeah, the show is going great. We just hit episode, we just recorded episode 105. Um, the whole crew is back Ash, Bree, Eric, and things are going great. We have some stuff coming down the pipe before the year closes out. Uh, we're really excited to get out to you. And then starting next year or possibly in December, we're, we're working the rollout now. Uh, Rolling 12s will be back. Um, I think I think I like having it just be a limited series instead of just having something that runs all year. It'll be just be something you guys get maybe 12 or 24 episodes, go on break, then 12 or 24 episodes, go on break. Um, but we got a lot of new Rolling 12 stuff coming down. Uh, and, yeah, ne- next year is going to be really exciting for us, and we hope you guys stick around for the ride. Oh, yeah. You know we're in the building. At least Shantae, she's like captive audience. Me? <laughs> I walk outside the building, take a couple laps, look at the building across the street like you died yesterday. And then I walk back <laughs> in and I'm like, hey, oh, what, 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 what's up? What are we talking about now? Um, are you still doing the show with the uh, the cards where you have to rap? The rapidly rap. So, verse was a lot of fun. I don't think we're going to do another verse episode. We might do in the middle of other Rolling 12s episodes, just have burst battles spliced in the middle of them. Um, I'm actually kind of uh, worried. I put it on the Kickstarter and I still haven't received like my official deck yet. Like I've got the, the bootleg deck from the site that they give you, the prototype, and I'm like, cool. Where's the real thing though? Because I kind of need this in my life. Like it was a lot of fun doing it. We had you and Shantae on. It was great fun. Um, yeah, like I, I, I need that back in my life. You know what? I have done a Kickstarter. I mean, I've, I've signed up for a Kickstarter and I paid for it and everything. And they sent out the survey and everything. But the idea of it is so weird and yet so awesome at the same time that I don't know if it's going to work. And I'm like, did I just lose my money? The idea is a thing called Silver Socks. Did I say that dramatically enough? Silver Socks. And Silver <laughs> Socks, this is going to sound gross. To all of us, because we have all gone through this whole, we have to reprogram ourselves. This is some hippie shit. Silver socks never get odor. They never uh, get wet. They never get moisture. They never get odor. So even when you throw them inside the washing machine and take them out, they're going to smell the same way they did before. They never absorb anything because they have silver inside the lining silver socks it's supposed to change the world and i'm just like i want to i want to try this out i don't know if it's gonna work i just want to i think a lot of kickstarters work like that like i don't know if this is gonna work but i'll fuck with it for a second so i want to i want to really just put my feet in these socks and see how long it takes before my shoes and my feet break these socks down i'm not gonna wear them every single day i'm not trying to be nasty like that i'm just saying i don't think it's gonna take more than a day before those socks start smelling like all my other socks and my wife is like you better throw them out they are unclean just pour some holy water on them set them on fire outside they are done so 
I don't think that they're going to be able to pull through and actually get me silver socks. I paid money for silver socks. So if it doesn't come through, I guess I can complain to somebody. Um, but yeah. Yeah. See how silent that is? See how quiet everybody sounds when I talk about socks and never get older and never get stinky? <laughs> you see how, you see how everybody just went, uh, that's some, that is literally hashtag white people shit. It is. Literally, it sounds like something that a guy out at Burning Man came up with, and he was like, you know what would be great, man? If I didn't have to go barefoot anymore. What are you I, talking about? White people love being barefoot. <laughs> not in the cold. <laughs> what are you talking about? I, I Yo, they do, like in the cold. Yeah, I thought I, I saw a, a little kid. And, and it, they were barefoot, and it was just like I don't know what's going on. It's forty degrees outside. But back to these, but back to these silver socks. So how much did you pay? Like uh, how much did you kick in for the Kickstarter? Twenty five dollars. Oh okay. Yeah, not enough for not enough to break my back or anything like that. And you know what? The thing is, they're not the first. Now that I'm looking at it, and I'm looking, I typed in silver socks. They're not the first ones to come up with this idea. Antibacterial socks that don't show or smell. Um. Incredibly comfortable, premium quality socks that eliminate odor, stay cool in the summer and warm in the winter. If this works, it's going to change my entire life. If it doesn't, they're just socks. Hmm? I was like, that would probably be good for somebody like in the military or something. You know, somebody who's kind of outdoors and doesn't and can't change like regularly, I guess, but it's still. Oh no, they got those socks in the military. Oh, okay. I stole my dad's. Our grilled silver and cotton mesh wicks away any sweat. I'm like, okay, I can do that. I coach basketball, and either way it goes, it doesn't really matter. I wear a size 16, so the socks that they're bringing to me are supposed to be a size 16 sock, not one of these 7 to 13s that I just got to squeeze my feet into and just hope because they don't make socks my size. Either way it goes, they're going to end up on Kid Awesome's 10 year old feet. Um, so he's going to have ankle footy socks that go all the way up to his kneecap uh, because he just steals my stuff. Um, so I'm excited to see how that works out, too. Uh, I, I did want to say this real fast before we got into the actual topics that uh, board games are just getting like horribly scary names more and more frequently because I have a board game that's literally called Pandemic. That game is amazing. Bruh, I love Pandemic. <laughs> I love Pandemic. I love Pandemic. <laughs> Fuck you, Madagascar. You know what you did. You know what you did, Madagascar. Yeah, oh my god. For real. Someone sneezes. Someone sneezes in Canada. Madagascar. Cool. Close the ports. Um, nah, we just knock on. But I feel like that's what black people would do. Someone sneezes in Canada or France. Nope, close nope. the borders. There's some white people shit going on. No, 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 no. <laughs> Wait, wait. Who? who uh, what? What's your uh, favorite position to play as? I think she's talking I, to you, Justin, because we went through one round in my family, and they quit. <laughs> so I bounce between the nano, the nanovirus, and the the standard virus, just because I like the idea of the little nanobots running around like injecting people it's like okay cool that this is a horrifying idea but it's fun to kind of pretend to control yes yes love it yeah they all die uh, there's also like the mind spores like they go into your mind and just latch onto your brain it's like now nah, we're controlling your brain 
I love everything about pandemic. Oh, wow. So what you're saying is that PodCon, pandemic, well, it can't work like that because you have to keep the same group around. That's the other problem. The people in my house, we play one round. They fucked up the world. <laughs> like, well, they, they, like, why, why would you make that decision? Why? Oh, my God. Oh, oh, sorry, 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 Korea. You're, you're just. <laughs> so the good thing hey. about Seattle is that there's a shit ton of places where you can just bring a board game and sit down and play and they have large tables. So, so I can. I can bring my game with you. And then people will just play with you there? Yeah. Oh my god. I do that all the time. That's a real thing? Yeah. Really? There's actually, yeah, there's actually cafes specifically for playing board games. So you mean I don't need friends? Theoretically. Theoretically. Oh. So I can't just sit down and be like, yo, hey y'all. Rashawn. I mean, there's a, place called, there's a place called Card Kingdom where you can just walk up and join people. They don't look at you? No. Uh, there's also Ray Gun Lounge where they do the same thing. You can just be like, hey, can I play with you guys? Oh, my God. Because my family <laughs> is so horrible when it comes to board games. Like, we have too many kids. There's babies who are crawling through and they're a pandemic in themselves. So it's like, <clears throat> you know, don't touch that little baby. Get away from that. I mean, now the little baby is like walking and she's awesome. Once they start walking, that's when they become fun. Um, less like cute and baby smelling, but still fun. Uh, but she's still like, get out of that. So they got to watch, see where she's going. And then the kids are looking out their phones and getting text messages. So they're not hearing me when I'm screaming at them. The Phoenix is on fire, motherfucker. And um, so we stick mostly with life and monopoly. So I need this. Thing that you're talking about I need to start a Kickstarter to make this my idea I've learned that if I steal somebody else's idea I can still become famous off of it I'm gonna steal this idea and Justin I'm guessing that they have these lounges where you're from too oh yeah the, the, so the comic book stores in DC like closer to DuPont there's one um, this black couple owns it they're awesome they do game nights. So this is, it, it's, it's a thing. So another, if you're looking for, if you want to migrate away from the life of Monopoly, you want more stress inducing board games. I do. XCOM, XCOM the board game. Yes. I don't know if you've ever, I don't know if you've ever played the XCOM video game, but the board game is just stress. It is the whole house <laughs> working, like everyone is working together against the alien invasion. And, like, each person has their own separate function. And it starts off sweet. Like, okay, yeah, we got this. We got this. Then the next thing you know, the person in charge of the Air Force misses the UFO. And now the ground force has got to do it more stuff. And you're yelling at your wife across the table because she was embezzling money. And you didn't know. You just knew the checks was clearing. <laughs> you didn't know what was happening. You just knew that you always have money for upgrades. Now it turns out you're actually in debt. But, you know, whatever. Things happen. Like, now that I've told this story, Tim is going to run downstairs like, you wasn't? Anyways. <laughs> I, I know what happened. Like, I, I know what happened. You know, XCOM, the board game, is so much fun. Like, it, it, it perfectly captures the panic of actually playing an XCOM video game. You just get to share the panic with your loved ones. I want this wow. in my life, but I don't want it with my loved ones. It's a friendship breaker. I love that game. Wait, Which one? wait, 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 wait. This is a friendship breaker. 
I love that game is not a phrase that I would ever have thought to hear about on any game other than Monopoly because I'm Monopoly, right? Check this out. I'm trying to sound as good as y'all are about, you know, the exciting board game awesomeness y'all have. So check this out. I was playing Monopoly, right? And I had gotten all the corners. And so I had hotels on all of them. And every time somebody would land on Park Place, I'd be like, oh, welcome to Park Place. You owe us this much money. You can't afford it. You're destitute. And so my wife was like, if you use that voice ever again, I'm going to divorce you. And I was like, you can't afford it. You're destitute. And she was like, that's it. And we were playing with her mom too. So her mom was like, oh. Her mom pulled a card and looked at the card and was like, oh, I died. And I was like, what the hell you mean you died? And she was like, this card has made me so destitute that I've died because I'm, I'm, I'm on the streets and I can't eat and I'm going to bed. And she was like, but since I died and your wife is my firstborn child, she gets all my properties. So yes! she gave my wife everything. All I had was the corners. My wife now had all the middles and <laughs> her mom gave it to her with the hotels on it. And then she got a voice and we're both voicing each other, and it was awesome. <laughs> she got all the railroads. I had the electric company. She had waterworks. We wouldn't trade with one another. We slept on the very ends of the bed for, like, the next two days, and I still use the voice. Where are we going? <laughs> are we going to Marvin Gardens? Huh. You can't afford it. That's, that's my awesome board game. I need more friends. Oh, it was terrible, but funny. <laughs> it was terrible. I didn't talk to my mother-in-law for like a week after. You can't die. You can't die. <laughs> I sound like Tom Hanks in, in, in a league of their own. There's no crying baby. You can't die. Where are you going? Come back here. You you can't take right, those properties. You you gotta you gotta put those properties back into the box and 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 we just play for them. And she was like, I'm her firstborn. She died. This is unprecedented, <laughs> but what am I supposed to do? We can't even, you know what, Rashani? You can't even tell her that she can't die because she's dead. And the next <laughs> week, we can't have the funeral till after the game. She's dead, Rashani, and you just landed. Welcome to New York Place. Like, that's some bullshit. I quit. I quit. I didn't quit. I lost. She whooped my ass from that point on out. And I'm still mad at her, and I'm still mad at her mom, and that's the way board games should be, and 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 I love board games. Oh, God. I I don't know. I, we have family game night, but family game night has kind of been on hiatus, because my son gets so upset. Like, we played Trouble, and Trouble, it lasts so long, but then you also can, like, jump on people's pieces and knock them back and everything. He gets so... He, yeah. He's just not here for it. And then I'm not here for him being upset. And then, you know, oh, and then he wants to, like, make fun of his sister and shit. It's all fucked up. I just, family yeah, game nights, family game nights on hiatus. Y'all need cooperative games where it's everybody going against the game. Yeah, but those are the ones that are mentally yes. scarring. <laughs> I mean, the family that experiences trauma together over board games stays together. Exactly. You, need to play the game. You, you need to play the game called... We live in a drug-infested neighborhood. Cooperative, of course. But what are you going to do? Wait, what? You got to play the game called Pandemic, where the world is falling apart. And we all got to do it. And guess what? What? 
whatever poor decisions you make in the first game carries over for the rest of the game. Like, you can't start over. They make you rip cards in half. What are you going to do? My eldest completely derided my second youngest because she did something that caused my eldest to have to rip a country in half. <coughs> Wait, what do you mean this country's gone forever? How does that work? What are you going to do? So, yeah, play a cooperative game and watch your family be on Dr. Oz in two weeks. By the way, I'm still going to one of these shops. I'm going to find it, and um, I'm going to make new friends. Um, I want a new drug, one that doesn't uh, kick, and I'm going to do this. I'm actually scratching my leg right now. Um, so, there was this guy um, in Montreal uh, named... Tafuik uh, Maloa, Moala, Moala, Moala. Uh, and he was given a $149 ticket a couple days ago for screaming in public. Um, Moala was singing along to CNC's Music Factory's 1990s hit, Gonna Make You Sweat, uh, which, if you recall, includes a repeated belted out command for everybody to dance now. According to CBC News, here's what happened to Moala. He was pulled over on St. Croix Avenue, and four Montreal police officers came up to look in his car, he said. They asked him what happened, and Moala said nothing. The officer then asked him, Did you scream loudly? Moala replied, No, I was just listening to my favorite song. And then I repeated, Everybody did! Odds, 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 odds. make you sweat. And a few minutes later, Moala said police handed him a $149 ticket for screaming in public. Moala told the CBC that while he understood the police may want to see what's going on in the car where someone is, uh, appears to be screaming, he's upset by the magnitude of the fine. I didn't know that you couldn't do that. <laughs> I mean I, I'm I'm more concerned he was doing it loud enough for it, I'm assuming multiple people to call in <laughs> right because it's like well how come the song isn't loud enough like why like how are you why are you screaming over the song I and why is, why is your window down I imagine that not only was his window down and the song wasn't loud enough, but that he was pointing at people. <laughs> <laughs> he was making a scene. And they all had their windows rolled up, and nowadays windows are good enough that they're pretty much sound blocking. So you just see this guy pointing at your car and screaming at the top of his lungs. And you don't know what he's screaming. Me, personally, I'm one of those folks who I'll roll down the window to try and catch the groove that you're on. If I see you <laughs> dancing hard enough or rocking out hard enough, it was easier back in the day when radio was everywhere. You could just find the radio station they're on, and then you're both grooving together. Um, but now, nah, with Spotify, it's dang near impossible. And I gotta, I gotta confess, I am now worried about getting this ticket because if I'm grooving hard enough, I don't just listen to you know R and B and jazz. I also listen to uh, rock in heavy metal and there's this group that constantly goes oh! and 
they do it <laughs> like gutturally and I'm just working to try and get this into my and I've been working on it for like two years oh, and if you're driving and you see me point at you and go oh, you're gonna call the police apparently <laughs> Justin this is the way that we will be shot don't sing yes. loud in public that's another moral I mean, if I'm listening to Hybrid Theory and Crawling comes on, I, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I just, I have to. It's a must. I feel you, brother. I have. My okay, own. okay. <laughs> like while, while I'm talking about Lincoln Park and Hybrid Theory, uh, widely, you know what? No, this should not be an unpopular music opinion. Mike Shinoda can rap better than Eminem. There, I said it out loud, and I don't feel bad. Wait, I'm sorry. Who and who? Mike Shinoda Shinoda is a better rapper than Eminem. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah, I I won't even... I can't uh, definitively say yes, but I'm going to say yes anyway. So, I I feel like Mike Shinoda uh, raps about things that are more prevalent to me and my situation. Um, Can I just leave it at that and tiptoe out the window? (laughs) Can I? Can I? I am taking it a step further, like in terms of just actually wordplay, flow, putting bars together. He's better than Eminem. You're like Eminem right. does the fast rapping thing. So you, you you woke up and you just wanted to fight this morning. Is 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 that <laughs> what's happening? Is this the hill that we're gonna just like stand on together um, and look at look down yeah. and say uh, I can walk down and get one of them i'm gonna run down and hit them all and no i i i, I i'm thinking about mike this is my hill this it is my is. hill i will this... stand on that hill i'm here for this hill i don't like this hill i want to get off of this hill <laughs> I'm, look- I'm looking down the hill like blue ivy like what i want to roll down this hill and uh make it to a boat to find out the zombies have uh taken over that's what's happening right now this hill was free i've never heard of this hill before how did we get here i wish i knew see i'd be pointing at the window right now i'm changing it i'm trying to i don't like wait what mike i like him and i like well i liked eminem i liked eminem i can do without a lot of eminem's issues and it's like the more you listen to Eminem, the more problematic Eminem gets. And in that regards, God, dog, am I coming to your side? That's the thing, right? <laughs> Go back and listen to all the Eminem stuff that you thought you liked. Go back and listen to it. Now you're just like, oh, I get why 13-year-old me like this. Yes. Yeah. I'm not 13 anymore. <laughs> oh, my God. Eminem's whole creative makeup is mm-hmm. homophobia, yeah. misogyny. Suck nope. dick. Yep. I want to fight this white person that you guys aren't worried about. I hate pop singers. That was when I was 13, and I hated pop singers. <laughs> oh my it's God. all, I mean, it's all bad. And that's why I guess I could just say, well, yeah, Mike Shinoda's better. I'm sure that my, I'm sure that his raps are worth revisiting now versus Eminem's are not necess- are not worth revisiting. There's A so lot of his shit's not worth like, there's a song he has with Ghostface and Lupe, and he outraps Ghostface Killer. And I'm like, I didn't wait. How did this happen? Like, it's Lupe Fiasco, Ghostface Killer, and Mike Shinoda, and Ghostface has the worst verse. Yeah, you would never <laughs> like, That is think... no shade to Ghostface. 
that is no shade to Ghostface. The, the the bar is fire. It's just Lupe and Mike burn the whole studio down. You would and never think that would happen. Both of because well, you could think that would happen. I think that my I think that the reason why I'm thinking why it took me a second is because when I hear Mike Shinoda, I would always hear him, you know, with Lincoln Park. So Mike had these rhymes and he he was kicking them, but I really just want to get back to hearing Chester screaming about stuff. But Dog, like Chester is so like Chester was so good at not just screaming, but actually singing while screaming. Exactly. Like, he's actually harmonizing and hitting these notes while he is putting his voice through this incredible strain. Like God, listening listening to Hypothetical and Meteora, like Chester was singing his ass off while shouting, while enunciating, and you could understand every word. Like it, it's fucking incredible. Like it's just incredible. Ah, hear me out now. I can't. I, I can't. And and you know what? The other thing about Lincoln Park and Mike Shinoda, um, that. I really don't think that Chester can ever be replaced because, like you said, he was able to hit those notes so effortless, effortlessly. But it's just the way that they spoke to me in my darkest times. Like everything about them, every single, every single album could have literally been named instead of Hybrid Theory and Meteora and all of that. Every single album could have just been called Hang On. Just hold on. Volume one. Hang on. Just hold on. Volume two. And I, it's getting to the point where the sun isn't coming out like it used to out here in Cali. I've loved every moment of it, but it's not doing it like it used to. And um, it's starting to get cold and, and, and hang on. Hold on. So just based upon that uh, and, and the fact that the lyrics that Mike was kicking are does kick on Lincoln Park, and I, you know what, I've never listened to him outside of Lincoln Park. That's Spotify to the rescue. Um, but it helped me to just hang on and hold on. The lyrics that Eminem was kicking, on the other hand, likely led to white guys walking down Charlottesville uh, with tiki torches. I listen to rap. <laughs> What are you? What are you? T- I listen to rap all the time. Eminem is the greatest. Remember the part where he said, "I can kill any woman who doesn't want to deal with me." So yeah, I can say Mike is. I can't believe I fell off the hill that quickly. It's such an easy. It's such an easy hill to get sucked up. It's just such an easy hill to get put on. And it's it's just got just got to think about it for a little bit. You do, and it's like. I feel like now I'm a cipher sitting in that restaurant eating the steak. Like I know that I'm part of the matrix and I know that this steak isn't real, but ignorance is bliss. And then you're like, no, no more steak. You got to literally step into the real world. And I'm like, damn it. I want the steak. Can I have one more? It was, it was literally medium rare. It was perfect. I didn't have braces in the, in, in this, in this scenario. I was eating steak. I wonder if people could have braces in, in the real world. I don't think they could have braces anymore. I think everybody's teeth were just jagged. Jagged edge. <laughs> there's there's no Obamacare in the Matrix future. There, right. There's no... 
Did you hear about uh, Jimmy Kimmel coming out in support of Trump Care? But the way that he came out in support of Trump Care was to move everybody, was to tell everybody to go to healthcare.gov and sign up for what is still Obamacare. That seems like something Jimmy Kimmel would do. And Trump supporters lost their mind. Like, I told you, Jimmy. Now you're coming to our side. Now you're seeing it. If the libtards weren't so stupid, they would have seen this a long time ago. And I was just sitting there like, yo, 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 y'all know where you're going, right? We're going to go in droves and support what Jimmy Kimmel finally came to the truth to see. Like, y'all, seriously. Anyhow. A man in Canada attempted fate, because yes, we're still in Canada. A man in Canada attempted fate and could have suffered the consequences if it hadn't been for a clear-eyed judge. Matthew Gagne was driving behind a cop on a two-lane road in Alberta, Canada on Friday when he crossed the broken yellow line in the middle to pass him. Gagne told CTV the officer was driving slower than the posted speed limit. This turned out to be a mistake as the cop proceeded to pull over and cite Gagne for driving a single kilometer over the limit. Mm. How did the officer know that Gagne was going a single kilometer per hour over the speed limit? Apparently, it was an educated guess. From CTV, Gagne's girlfriend took to social media to vent about the incident and upload a photo of the ticket in question. The Facebook post appeared to strike a nerve as it attracted thousands of shares and comments. Gagne won't have to fight the speeding ticket, however. A representative from Sturgeon County called him on Monday to say that the fine will be rescinded. Quote, Upon further review, they did only estimate the driver's speed and they did not record or measure it on a radar and laser as they indicated on the ticket, Sturgeon County spokesperson Gwen Rolanski said. The officer, who was not identified won't be disciplined. Even though it looked like the incident would have some pretty real consequence for Gagne, namely a ticket that would have cost him 78 Canadian dollars in addition to points on his license. The moral of this story, boys and girls, and, you know, non-identifying, don't tempt fate by passing even a slow-moving cop on a two-lane road. And yet, at the same time, it seemingly all could have been avoided if one officer had stopped checked his ego and maybe even taking a deep breath I, I've ridden behind officers on the on roads that had their siren on I wasn't trying to pass them or anything I've just ridden behind them as they made cars have to move out the way because of their sirens it was like having a fullback blocking for me and I was <laughs> grateful for the opportunity so when I got pulled over at a at by another cop because I um was going behind them and they didn't have their siren on or anything, they were just speeding, so I was speeding behind them. And they got on their loudspeaker and was like, car behind me, pull over. I guess I had it coming. In hindsight, I guess that they knew I was speeding because they were speeding. How does that work? Well, they're cops. They're allowed to break the rules. The rules are for you poor. You niggers. You poor <laughs> niggers. <laughs> not for cops. I, 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 I have nothing. He's absolutely right. I got the ticket. I didn't pay it. I just stopped going to that area. Um, 
Because <laughs> it worked back then. Nowadays, they got that nationwide uh, driver's license system where they can see, okay, you got a warrant in uh, Utah. But back then, nah, I just, hey, we got to map out. We put in MapQuest, uh, in quotes, avoid Oregon. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna go so here's what MapQuest says we're gonna go I-5 north for 400 miles and then we're gonna make a right on 480 and drive into Idaho and we're gonna then the trip says it's gonna take 26 hours um I think we can make it 20 or 21 if we don't do bathroom breaks everybody get in the car let's go and that's how a five-hour trip turns to a 26-hour trip because you want to avoid paying a, I think it was $56 ticket in Oregon. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, I got, I have my standards. I'm not changing them for anybody. Bow down. Man's got to have a code. Exactly. And my <laughs> code is, you didn't know how fast I was going. I just found out I was right. You were speeding first. I sped second. So this is old news, but yet it's good news. And so I want to talk about this news. Y'all ready? Let's go. Our bridge is falling down. It was only a few months ago that Chrisette Michelle peered into an envelope containing a check and proposal from Orange Hitler, chunked up the deuces to the black community, and hopped into a limo to be the featured shucker at Donald Trump's inauguration concert. Saying that she is willing to be a bridge to the black community, Michelle proudly took the bag of money in exchange for serenading the soulless. But now that her record company has canceled her album, she wants to share her story of strength, perseverance, and resilience with black people in hopes that black America will re-embrace her and purchase her spectacularly mediocre new single, Strong Black Woman. On Friday, which this back in October was still, Michelle revealed in a series of Instagram posts that her record label had dropped her. Quote, if social media wanted to pull me down, I guess they succeeded as it pertains to Capitol and Caroline Records, Chrisette's post began. I completed an entire album and my label decides to walk away from me. Michelle also revealed that she has been suicidal and found herself naked in bed, lying next to a bottle of Bacardi and a container of Xanax pills, which sounds like the first line of an upcoming mumble rap song by Future featuring Young Thug. Going all out in the melodrama department, Michelle revealed that she miscarried a child during the turbulent period after she chose to sing at Trump's inauguration. Her post said, this experience of a broken nation showed itself in my own physical body. But it didn't stop there. Michelle practically forced white tears on the page when she added this. Quote, it's one thing to be a strong black woman. It's another thing to be a strong black woman who has a fight against the worst odds. I went from someone being revered and loved to facing putting out an album in the worst climate of my musical career no victims here I get it but absolutely human here how hard can you try to break someone how hard can you try to ruin someone how much hate do you need to spew to show me you want to see my demise (laughs) well oh god yeah we caught you laughing I'm laughing too it's okay it's just I'm laughing because she made this decision mm-hmm. to, you know, sing and then and made this decision thinking that she was somehow going to help, you know, 
but what she said she was gonna be a bridge and it's just like baby it's the not i mean it's just his inaugural ball you're not on a, a panel you're not really doing anything besides just singing like not that you can't sing or anything you're not talented it's just no you're not a, a congressperson or anything like you don't have his ear so this whole idea that you thought you could just doesn't make any sense you, you know i just wish people would just be honest instead of just being like well i did this for the betterment of black my community and just say i wanted to sing at the white house and i took a check Right. Or or you wanted to be closer to the light. Because I feel like that's what happened with Steve Harvey. You know, Steve Harvey and whoever else was having meetings with with Trump. You know, maybe I think it was prior to him getting elected and everything. And people were like, nah, you, no, this is stupid. Don't do this. Don't do this. And now he's coming out saying it's the worst thing, you know, worst decision he's ever made. Yeah, like, just be honest. You know, like, we don't need all this extra fluff and flavor. Just just, just be honest, and probably ninety percent of this wouldn't have happened. I, I feel like Chrisette thought that if she did this concert, she was going to be okay. Uh, but then, black folks had an epiphany and decided that, that we were leaving. Uh, so we put on our ten foot stilettos and walked away because even though she thinks she's golden. If this the way love feels, we don't need that. Um, there won't be another one for her. And don't worry, we're still fly. But the this is like a dream that you'll never wake up from. That was good. That was that was. Thank you. I, I, I tried. I, I I really did because you know I felt like it was falling off a little bit there in the middle. But I was like, let me just keep putting more on it. But moronic is the idea of I can go talk to somebody who uh, is openly dismissive of black folks and, and LGBTQIA issues and just anything that isn't white salvation and thinking that you're going to walk away from it uh, completely free of any repercussions. So to everybody who goes and works with uh, Trump, I, I I went through every single bad name I could think of to call him, and I, I just I stumbled over Trump. It like popped out. Um, we don't have a need for you. So there's that. We'll be right back. This single simulcast. Hey, this is Bacon from AdSpace, and you are listening to Single Simulcast. What's going on, everyone? It's Justin from the Three Fifths Podcast, and you're listening to the Single Simulcast. I'm a part of my own decisions. <laughs> you're right. You're a product of your own decisions. This is Single Simulcast. Hey, this is Sharonda, and you're listening to Single Simulcast. Hey, I'm Joshua Harvey from the Meat Cute. And I'm Matt Young Shipway, <laughs> Shipway from the Meat Cute. And uh, we're proud to be the official first white guests on the Single Simulcast. And thank you guys for listening. This place is awesome, and you should definitely keep listening. So thank you. 
This single simulcast. That was, that was simply, simply sensational. sensational. Single, single simulcast will surely surface speedily. Bitches. <laughs> single simulcast wants your reviews. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Music, or wherever you listen to us. Tag single simulcast with the screenshot of your review on Facebook or use the hashtag SSCast on Twitter. Enjoy the rest of the show. Hi, this is your man Jeremy from the Crown of College Podcast, and you are listening to Single Simulcast with my man Rashani and Shante Fabulous, your favorite podcaster's favorite podcaster. And I'm your favorite podcaster, so that should be your favorite podcaster, because I'm your fave, fave, and your fave, fave. Check them out on Single Simulcast, and check out Crown of Collars, found wherever you can find great podcasts and the CSPN Network. Hello, everybody. You are listening to Single Simulcast. My name is John Cushman of the Cushman Chronicles. This is a podcast where I fight the forces of resistance in this... Okay, I gotta go. The Cushman Chronicles. Peace. Are you interested in supporting this black podcast? Awesome! Become a Patreon member at www.patreon.com slash single simulcast. And for $5, you'll be able to chat with the hosts during our monthly q and awesome session. You can also support the show via our Teespring store at teespring.com slash stores slash single dash simulcast and get a shirt or a mug. You also have the option to put a little something in our cup at paypal.me slash single simulcast. Hey, hey, hey. I know you're probably wondering who I am. Well, my name is Joy, and I'm the host of Fresh Out the Cocoon, a podcast that gets real about being black and being fabulous all at the same damn time. Trust, you don't want to miss the things that are discussed on this show. So join me every other Sunday as I release new episodes. I'm currently on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, Spreaker, and TuneIn Radio. Single Soundcast! Episode 269, uh, Justin and Bacon are here, Shantae's here, and I feel badly for bringing up stuff that's so hurtful to people, so hurtful, but I promise you Ezel's is good sometimes, like the real one. Now, uh, there's a, there was a 400 or 40,000 strong support group called Incel. On Reddit, uh, that was largely populated by men, uh, and it's been banned, which is awesome. We talked about this a couple episodes back, INCEL, which stands for Involuntarily Celibate. Um, that was largely populated by women who are, largely populated by men, sorry, who appear to hate women and in some cases advocate rape. Uh, the 40,000 strong incels community was nominally a support group for people who lack romantic relationships and sex. Quote, they're involuntarily celibate or incel. However, popular posts in the last few months include ones that are horribly, horribly, horribly triggering. And um, honestly, long story short, I'm glad they're dead. Like, like you said, you guys have talked about this previously. It is, it, 
it's another example of how men, specifically white men, are radicalized online, right? Like they find they find these groups that bait them with toxic with toxic masculinity and validation. They reinforce that, and it becomes a self feeding cycle, right? Like there there is a straight line from casual misogyny, casual racism to Nazi violence, like huh. a straight fucking line. The same reason why certain websites are on DHS hit list for ISIS or whatever. That same logic applies to sites like Incel, uh, sites like, oh, what is that one? Um, this, this cat named Roosh used to run it. Roosh is like a huge MRA. Uh, uh, uh not Game Facts. Um, is it, is it, what is it? Are you talking about the one I don't know. Gamers? Huh? Are you talking about the ones for that just shut down? It was it was a gaming website or a gaming oh, forum. No, no, that was that was um somebody else. Yeah, no, that that's something else. No, this dude is just like a straight up MRA. He kind of tried to delve into the gaming thing. I guess the site got shut down because I can't remember it for the life of me, but his name sticks out because he's one of those big MRA players, right? Mm-hmm. All these cats do is they find people like them, they stir up little culture wars and try to recruit people to their side. And guide them from casual misogyny, casual racism, men's right activist, Nazi. Right? Like, it, it is a four-step program. And it works. Every time. So I'm glad Intel got shut down. Um, it really was just a breeding ground for more of these Tiki Torch dudes. Because that's, that is the next step in this line, right? Yeah. I'm actually surprised it takes so long. Because I know that Reddit was has been slowly... Um... Uh, shutting down some of the uh, red pill MRA shit, but Incel's been on MRA uh, for I don't even know how long. Like, I'm actually surprised that this one took took so long to come down because I know a lot of um, dudes from the other ones that got shut down just migrated over to Incel. Here's a question. Do you think that the owner of Reddit didn't care until all of this, until the sexual harassment, uh, until people started coming forward with their uh, stories of sexual harassment in Hollywood? I... Uh... No, this one's been happening for a while. Um, uh, when Reddit got new leadership and um, they forced out one of the CEOs, I think it was, that's when they started, and I think this was like a couple years ago at this point, that's when they started um, going back and pulling against that whole uh, speech thing that they were doing. Um, they, because it started book a little before the election and they started pulling some of these uh, and just terrible just this garbage so I, I'm just I'm glad they're gone I think that that pretty much yeah. sums it up. 
it, it's it's time to start getting these sites out of the paint because it's not just oh it's just a different opinion oh it's just these guys bonding over their experiences with women no 99.999% of the time it is men commiserating over their quote unquote experiences with women and plotting violence against those women as revenge for their own entitlement right like they feel entitled because society reinforces all these things on men they feel entitled to a woman everything Everything men take in from the time I'm going to say from the time they're five to when they're adults, everything they take in, all the media they take in, all the books they read, all the lessons they get. The reinforced lesson is if you are a good man, your reward is woman. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Your TV shows, your video games. The prize is woman. Your comic books. The prize is woman. Well, I'm a good guy. Where's my woman? Well, clearly it's the woman's fault because I'm doing all these things that society tells me I need to do to be rewarded a woman because I don't see women as actual people. I see them as a prize to be won. Oh, I don't have these. Th- I'm doing all these things. It's your fault. She's going after the thugs. She's going after the jocks. She doesn't want looking the over- nice guy who's standing next to her the whole time silently trying to be her friend. She wants the ones who already just thinking about that headache so and and those mentalities and those mindsets are ripe for the picking for these mra nazi groups right they mm-hmm. find these guys they validate them through toxic masculinity they validate that entitlement and it's a self-feeding cycle and we really need to start getting more of these groups out of the paint like what reddit did shut it down and so great i wish more sites would do i wish more sites would be proactive like reddit included i wish it wouldn't be so reactive and start being more proactive in moderating uh their spaces because i think a mistake a lot of these sites when they're coming up the mistake they made was they bought into the whole don't feed the trolls well we know now don't feed the trolls is actively harmful what don't feed the trolls actually does it empowers the trolls because they know they can do what they want without recourse Mm -hmm. the best way to combat trolls is to kick them out uh one thing we um we say on the show or on our show Violence received is violence achieved. The best way to combat these hateful attitudes and these trolls is violence or the perception of violence. That they have to feel like there's a consequence for their actions, for their thoughts. Right? Yep. So as long yep. as they think they can do these things with impunity, they're going to keep doing them. Charlottesville there was another Nazi rally in Charlottesville because they had they knew they would be able to just show up and nothing bad would happen. In Boston, that crowd showed up and they got scared because they thought they were gonna get stomped out. Richard Prince got his shit checked twice in DC. He hasn't been back in a while, and he lives here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, uh, with uh, I mentioned this before, but like with uh, Reddit, they didn't start pulling this stuff until um, people essentially these MRA assholes forced Ellen Powell to resign, and then that's when there was a full on Reddit revolt. It was, it was ugly, but it took a person being harassed out of their space because they're ultimately in a position of power. I mean, that's what happened with 4chan and Gamergate, right? Like, yeah. uh, who was running 4chan at the time? But they essentially had to shut down a bunch of wards when they realized, oh, no, you're actually coming after people that I know in my personal life. Yeah, this has to stop. Yeah. But they were cool with it until it hit home. And that's the way it always works. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm thinking about because I think we're all gamers. Whether it's playing board games with with 
real friend. Oh, I'm so jealous. Or um, playing online uh, with video games or playing single player, whatever it may be. Um, for me, my first, I've played a lot. I played uh, ColecoVision. I played in television. I played Atari before I played Nintendo. One of my first memories of video games that I that actually stuck with me, an enduring classic type video game, was Donkey Kong. In Donkey Kong, your reward was woman. You climb this ladder to save a woman. Once you save the woman, he takes the the monkey takes the woman back. Repeat ad nauseum. Um, the first game that I that any gamer got for Nintendo was Super Mario Brothers. Your reward was a woman. That's God co-signing what I'm saying. Um, <laughs> when you would get to where you thought the woman would be at, oh, no, she's at another castle. You keep going because that was your reward. Um, and Mario, Nintendo has actually kept that same mindset up. I have Mario Odyssey right here in my Nintendo Switch sitting right next to me. And um, even though it's 2017... And Princess Peach has shown to be more than capable to handle herself. There was a game, a wonderful game, that I cannot find now because I stopped making it called Super Princess Peach. Oh, God, no, not that game. Why? I, I wanted okay. to love it. <laughs> so, Super Princess Peach, where, while it's fun, um... Basically, you have to save Mario, but you have to save Mario as Princess Peach using your emotional powers. Wait, what? Your powers yep, her- of PMS. So you... Oh, wow. Wait. Uh, you, if you um, are upset, if Peach is upset, she stomps her, like she stomps and cries, which um, allows things to break. Um, if she's happy she can use her umbrella to float or fly um i can't remember the other mood swings because it was like so long ago but you basically had like four emotions and each of the emotions controlled a power that she had to like fight through stuff to break it so it was essentially like save mario via power of pms like i want the worst part was is that it was actually a really like mechanically it was a really fun like well done platformer but the concept was terrible like as a platformer it's essentially kirby cross mega man yeah you just have you have constant access to all the powers right Uh, but power is mood swings yes yeah, that's bad. That's yeah, <laughs> real so bad. There, there is a game though with Princess Peach. Um, slightly older Super Mario RPG, where Princess Peach is the most useful character yes. in the game. Yes, oh, she is. Okay. That game is awesome. Like, you know, once you get Princess Peach, you're like, okay, this game is I can't lose now. Like it, it does fall into the trope of woman as medic. Um, like there's still that trope there, but Princess Peach is easily the most useful character in that game. Like, everyone's final team has Peach because you can't finish the game without her. It's can't. I am looking at the uh, wiki for Super Princess Peach, and, like, everything in this game is emotional. Yes. Uh, There's a mad Goomba. Yes. Um, There's a sad Goomba, and it attacks when it's sad, so you feel bad attacking it. There's a sad (laughs) Paragoomba. 
There's a mad green Koopa. There's a glad green Koopa who's learned to jump happily. There's a calm Latuki. There's a sad spiny. Wow. I was going to buy this. I was ready. My soul was ready. We went to like <laughs> eight different GameStops looking for this game. And I, I was like, you it. really want it? You can probably find a used copy online, but. Fuck that, baby. Fuck that. I said, fuck that. Driving in the car as big as a whale, and I'm yelling out, fuck that. So come on and grab your jukebox money. I had to. I had to finish it out. I had to. I, I couldn't just let that part. Wait, that's that's a real thing. I thought you just made that up. No, it's actually the Love Shack. At the Love Shack, yeah. it's a beautiful place where we can get together. But I'm changing it. Fuck I'll- that, baby. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> All, All right. right, that just happened. <laughs> <laughs> um, I feel like this is something that we have to talk about. Um, I'm going to paraphrase very shortly because we have to get to the Book of Lies, and then we can have a discussion on it. Uh, First Lady of my heart, uh, Michelle Obama, uh, said that boys, that mothers are their children's first teachers and have a tendency to protect their sons and prepare their girls. And when their fathers aren't around, boys are less prepared to take on the responsibilities of manhood. The firm, the former, well, still to me, first lady sat down with poet Elizabeth Alexander on day two of the Obama foundation summit in Chicago to talk about a variety of issues. Uh, the conversation took a bit of a different tone when, uh, Obama addressed the question of raising men. Considering the state of the world and the fact that men are running it right now, women have to accept some responsibility for why they act the way they do. Quote, we raise our girls to be strong, and sometimes we take care not to hurt men, and I think we pay for that a little bit, Obama said. Are we protecting our men too much so they feel a little entitled, a little self-righteous? Obama continued the discussion, adding that women hold their daughters to much higher standards than they hold their sons. While she is rearing two black girls, Obama had to accept a part of preparing them for life means allowing allowing them to experience some of the tough stuff on their own. Quote, that is on us as women, too, Obama said. We nurture men and push girls to be perfect, but you can't be so afraid that life will break them that you don't prepare them for life. End quote. Thoughts. Oh, man. I think I there were people like I kind of glazed over this when it hit the timeline and everything. But now I kind of see why some people were kind of pushing back on what she was saying, because it almost seems like she wants it almost sounds like she wants women to kind of shoulder responsibility in the socialization of of men kind of in general almost it sounds it's it's i don't know it's just like i think there are i think that i think there are some people who expect girls to do certain things to know how to do certain things you know they they push domestic things on them they push them to make sure that they can take care of themselves and all this different kind of stuff and and then on the other hand, uh, don't push it in the same way, I guess, 
with boys, but I guess the idea of just women have to shoulder that is just it. Because then it's like, well, is it? Because are we just assuming that a man's not there helping to raise these uh, female children and these male children? Like he's just like he just doesn't exist. He's not imparting how he has been socialized, you know, not just from his parents, but from his friends and from society and all those different kind of stuff that he's not pushing that on. That he, it's possible that he's push, he's pushing whatever he has on to girls and boys. It's like this stuff didn't just get made up. So it just feels like just saying like, oh, well, y'all need to take responsibility too. We have a hand in that too. And it's just like, uh, I don't know. As much as I love the Obamas, right, one thing we have to admit about them is they fall into a lot of classist anti-black tropes when it comes to, like, how they feel about black people. Mm-hmm. Michelle, Michelle's comments make sense to her because she's coming at it from, oh, well, black men don't stick around for their kids anyways. Mm-hmm. So it's up to us, the women, to teach these lessons to men because the men won't do it anyways, right? Like that, that's sort of like the only way this, that statement works logically is if you approach from that angle. It makes me uncomfortable listening to it because it sounds like she's shifting the burden of unpacking toxic masculinity back onto women instead of onto parents, right? Like if Michelle Obama gives the same speech, but instead of focusing on women, says parents, saying, hey, parents, we have a responsibility to our children to our male identifying to our male identifying children to sort of navigate them through what it means to be a man and their responsibilities as men and how to navigate this world i don't think it comes off as as poorly but shifting it solely onto the mothers and then that quip about when the father isn't there that lets me know that she's playing into that trope of the father's not going to be there so women we have to do this ourselves not talking to the men about sticking around for their kids Mm-hmm. but again shifting the sole burden of this onto well moms you gotta make sure that you know we don't protect our boys like the the core of her message of hey parents help your help your kids navigate toxic masculinity that's fine when she starts branching off that's when it gets really weird and uncomfortable and that again that's something we have to admit about the Obamas you can hear it when they especially when Barack talks to black people he talks at it from a perspective of someone that doesn't necessarily like black people and someone that sort of buys into a lot of these anti-black tropes, right? Like there's not, there's not much different from how Obama views black people and Bill Cosby's pound cake speech. And that's hard for people to accept. Yeah. I because think it's, yeah, while they view it the same way, Obama comes at it from a more the Obamas in general come at it not from a black people bad perspective, but more of a we can do better, let us guide each other to do better. It's still that really, 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 really problematic, right? It's a benevolent problematicness, a benevolent oppression that they sort of approach it at so they so it comes off as not as bad, but it's still pretty harmful. So yeah, this was this was weird, but knowing what I know about the Obamas, I'm not at all surprised. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what the the way that they say what they say sounds. I mean, basically, it's benevolent. It sounds nicer. 
You know, you don't feel like, like with Bill Cosby, you could, there was so much vitriol. You could just tell, like, he don't fuck with you. He hates you kind of thing where it doesn't feel like that is coming off of this. And I'm sure that's why there's probably people who agree with it, who are ready to listen to it. And then there's just all the stuff as far as them uh, being the former first family and the way that we uh, perform, I guess, fictive kinship and everything like that kind of stuff. Whereas just like there's, you know, there people feel like they're part of their part of our family you know, and it's just, but I, yeah, this wasn't good. And I, and I definitely understand why people were critiquing what she said and continue to critique what they say when it comes to these types of issues. Bacon. Yeah. I mean, basically everything I thought was already said, um, there, like we definitely do need to, uh, toxic masculinity and addressing that but again shouldering as the responsibility of women and not as well like not as much so on uh, men or fathers uh, even just male models in the life of these kids um, that's that's a problem but they've always the Obamas has always been on the respectable end of uh, things, so it's really not surprising. Like, the, the Obamas have always respectability. Works for me. Um, I just... It's a. Uh, it's always interesting to me to uh, know that you're not alone in your thoughts. Mm-hmm. I think that sums it up rather well. And uh, the last topic prior to uh, aforementioned book of lies. Louis C.K. is a dickhole. He's a dirtbag. And I, 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 I do we. We don't need to read the stories behind it. Louis C.K. has been problematic for years and um, was just able to stomp through unchecked, untouched, because I don't know. Maybe it was because he was giving opportunities. I mean, I remember a, uh, a comedy show that I heard from him where he used the word nigger and he was like, everybody was thinking it. And that's when I checked out. But he worked for the Chris Rock show, so that was his black friend. And so there was no issues as far as that. No fallout, no nothing. Um, I just want to remind people of when Michael Richards used the word nigger. I haven't heard from him since. And I'm not saying that to put up a, uh, this happened to him, but this didn't happen to him sort of thing. I'm just saying I think that it's the people that you know and the power that you wield that allows you the opportunity to get dragged or not get dragged appropriately. Uh, Louis C.K. has been assaulting women for many moons. Uh, and he actually uh, came on to, uh, he made a frank, uh, he had a frank apology today 
uh, in which he said he abused his power. And for that, he apologizes uh, to all of the women that he may have hurt. How do you say may have hurt? Never understood that. He's openly admitted that the stories are true, which means that he's openly admitted to assaulting women countless times. The stories are true. I, I, I just feel like that reeks of male privilege, not even white male privilege, just male privilege. Like, yeah, the stories are true. Let me go ahead and do this little apology because I have a movie that's supposed to be coming out in a couple of days that's about a 17-year-old girl being attracted to a 64-year-old man called I Love You Daddy, which got canceled, by the way. Thank God. And now that it's gotten canned, now he's going into survival mode. And that's what we were talking about earlier on the Patreon feed was um, having empathy and 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 being aware and being empathetic and just being aware. Like, he didn't give a damn. He didn't care what he was doing. There's literally no way that you can tell me, and I'm not going to... I'm striving to not go into detail about what he's done. Not because, not to protect him, but just because it's triggering. Um, And I'm trying to get better at being aware of things that are triggering so then we can either avoid them or put a trigger warning up about it. And, and Shantae, I, I'm grateful to you for that. Because um, you're the one who's constantly pointing it out to me. Like, okay, this is triggering. And also, Sharonda, Sharonda J. Brown uh, pointed out to me uh, a couple times, too. Um, but these these people that he assaulted trusted him. Uh, both in a place of power and as a colleague. And they uh, were violated. There's no other words for it. So now that he's admitted to it, are they going to put him in jail? No, probably not. Is he going to lose a lot of business? I don't know. Kevin Spacey has been uh, removed from a movie that already has previews in movie theaters. They, like, removed him from the whole thing and reshot it with Christopher Plummer playing his role. I saw the preview before I saw, uh, I believe, The Foreigner. So it's it's already done. They went back and just completely X'd him out the game. I think he's pretty much done. He's not going to jail, but he's done. He should go to jail, but he's done. Is the same thing going to happen to Louis C.K.? I know that HBO has stopped uh, working with him. Lucky Louie or whatever his show is called is no longer going to be available. Um, his show on FX, I don't know. I don't know. But what I do know is this was a long time coming. And if they had, if the ladies had never said anything, then it would have been years ago. Cause he's, they've been saying it for years. I know Tig was saying it for years. I know that, uh, some, uh, other comedians that he worked with have been saying it for years, uh, there were ladies who were saying it as far back as 2005. So that's 12 years of people just knowing that this is going on, getting told that this is going on, and nothing's happening. And that's completely male privilege. That is horrible. I'm going to stop now and uh, open it up to y'all. Yeah, this has always been really weird to me because I've... Like I, I've, 
I've heard about this stuff going on for years. And so when Louis C.K. has been on this, I used to be an asshole, but I'm now redeemed kind of comedy thing that he's been doing. And everybody is like, Louis C.K. is a feminist. I'm like, but he assaults women. I don't. Are we just ignoring this? Do we do people just not know? But I don't I don't understand what's happening. So the fact that people are even surprised about all of this has been really weird to me. And I'm, I'm not quite sure how to even navigate that because clearly i mean people we we know people just don't listen to women but to see it that this has been going on for years and it's not like it was under wraps or anything it was out it was open it was out there and everybody was still like well he's a feminist look at him yeah i had no idea that people were calling him a feminist he's one of those comedians that i felt like people liked and it was just like "Eh, i'm not really feeling this i'm not into this like i can't pinpoint any specific thing but it was just like eh, I don't really want to watch this I'm not interested in this I don't really care but then you have people who are just like oh my god he wrote Pootie Tang and that's something else that I really didn't watch and didn't care for and it was just like well I don't give a fuck if he wrote Pootie Tang it was just like he got I mean if he got to go he got to go I mean and- Pootie Tang is absurdist comedy like I don't I don't see how that makes anybody an ally or a feminist right like it, it's it's absurdist comedy at its like it, it, it's an absurd movie. How does that make someone a fan? That's a really weird thing to bring up. When somebody brings that up, which I haven't heard somebody, I can imagine people bringing that up. But when somebody brings that up, it would just sound to me the same way that that uh, Dave Chappelle sounded when he was like, "But Michael, it's Michael Jackson. He made Thriller. He made Thriller. Like you're not, you're not saying." that he didn't do what he's accused of doing. You're saying, let's look past what he did because he made this. And that's another issue that I have constantly. It's like, okay, this person made this, so this their get-out-of-jail-free card. No, that's not how this works. This rapist, this person who assaulted people, this racist, this uh, misandrist, this whomever... This misogynistic asshole, this whoever, whatever person you're talking about, and then talk about what they made. And by the way, I said misandrous in that group like they're something bad. They're not. My fault. <laughs> I meant to say misogynist <laughs> and said misandrous. <laughs> and that just that just registered in my mind. Like you said that. And I was like, I did say that. No. Misogynist. <laughs> yeah, the last couple of years, Lisa Kay's been doing this whole men are trash routine. Like, we need to do this with women. And I'm like, yeah, but you out here assaulting women. What? I don't. And that's that's where, like, people will be like, oh, look, he's a feminist. Because he has a couple of comedy routines where he talks about his daughter and how men are trash. But trash. Like, yeah. 100%. Yeah. It seems like what with what's happening, I guess, locally for black Twitter on the Internet and this kind of stuff here is that we need that people need to rethink what it means for a man to be feminist. Cause I had no idea that people were saying Louis CK was feminist. Like, like it doesn't even make any sense. And then just the idea that, Oh, he just had a couple of, he had some comedy routines. Like why, why is the comedy routine enough? 
to just, you know, be labeled something. I would think that you would need to do more to be considered a feminist than just than just saying men are trash. But yeah, but yeah, the bar is the, the, the bar, bar is, is low. obviously low. The bar is so, so low. low that we just trip on it. <laughs> It's so low. It's like when we used to play the snake game with the jump rope. That's how low yeah. the bar is. Yeah, yeah. The, the bar is just like super low. So a guy comes out and says, I'm sorry, men are garbage. We go, yes! Yeah. Or, or when they say, these stories are true. At this time, I said to myself that what I did was okay. Because No, I can't even read it. Like the excuse that he's giving isn't an apology. It's an excuse. Chaos uh, uh, or, or, or survival mode. Survival mode apologies never work for me. That's because they're not apologies. They're survival mode. Yep. <laughs> like, legit, they're not apologies. It, it's, it's mostly, I'm sorry, y'all are mad. Right. <laughs> I'm sorry <laughs> like, is, if you I were offended. You. Yeah, this isn't, I'm sorry, I fucked up, I did a terrible thing, I continued to do terrible things, I'm awful, I'm sorry for my actions, it's, I'm sorry y'all are mad. I'm sorry y'all caught me, and then somebody believed you. Right, because I've been caught before, but nobody believed you, so I wasn't sorry then. I apologize if I offended you. They can totally, like, get the Bozak. <laughs> I mean, I know she didn't write this by herself. I just don't want to go back to the beginning to look and see who else wrote it. Because I know it says Rachel by Rachel Dolezal and. And whoever the and is can just, you're you're not a horrible person. You just make bad life choices. <laughs> oh, gosh. And just, yeah, I think, that's, I think that the best way to put it on, on this day is, Fuck them in their whole entirety. Yeah, yeah. All of it. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Okay. <clears throat> Two more times for this, Shantae. And then I feel like we've been, I feel like when I'm at the gym and I don't <laughs> want to bench press anymore and the guy who has decided to spot me that I didn't even ask to spot me is like he only got two more reps left. Where the hell did you come from? Why are you <laughs> two more times, Shantae. Two more reps. All right. You you ready? I'll spot you on this one. You ready? No, you're gonna spot me? All right, fine. All right. Let's let's do this. <clears throat> this is sadness. <laughs> this is what that sounds like. If you ever want to hear Rashani defeated when seasonal depression does not yet reach him. This is pretty much it. I still have a laugh in my voice, but it's not going to be here for very long. It's going to... In retrospect, Sean said, if you had to choose your three most prevalent emotions during the reading of the Book of Lies, what would they be? Probably, like, anger, and then, uh, I guess, flabbergasted, and tired. Is that an emotion? <laughs> I feel Exhaustion. like it's an emotion because we we say that a lot. I'm tired of you doing this, and that means you better cut that out. So I will take tired as an emotion. Um, I'm disgusted, and I'm angry. <laughs> and I'm tired. 
<laughs> and then in like ninth place is sad. Yeah. I, I, I'll be, I, go ahead. Go ahead. I mean, it, it's, it's just, I think it's just me, but way, 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 way back in the back of my mind, like near the base of my neck where the brain meets the spinal cord. And then it becomes like, I don't even know how that works. Cause I didn't, Stay awake in biology. Don't know much about chemistry. Um, but way back, way back, I know that right now Larry and Ruth Dan seem like the heroes of this book for coming out. And they're like, uh, uh, uh. But I just got to wonder, what did she go through in order for her to just completely disassociate herself and make up a whole new personality? Mm-hmm. You had to have seen some type of shit to just, I mean, because folks who have split personalities, you know, usually they've had trauma big enough that they are just, they have to develop a whole new uh, way of coping. Like, way down in the back of my mind, I'm like, what did she go through that made her have to develop that? Like, and we've read the book and I have not yet seen it, but I'm thinking that there's something that she might have repressed. Um, cause you don't just wake up one morning and you're like, you know what? I went out to the field and just started smearing mud on myself and then I could control the weather. It's crazy talk. Not crazy well, talk. It's, it's, well, it's. She's mentioned it a couple of times, not really necessarily in the book, but in various interviews. Like, there's a few things that she says that I absolutely 100% believe. Like, she does talk about, like, how her parents did abuse her and there's some stuff weirdness going on with her brothers as well and like it's just especially just for my personal life experiences I'm just looking at her like I don't know what you went through I don't know but you need lots of therapy right yeah you just need lots of therapy because she knows it's not real. Like, she knows it's not real, but she just clings to this identity so hard. Like, her life depends on it. I think it does. And it's not like, um, I was reading, uh, yesterday about a young lady who, for like, from the age of 13 until the age of 21, uh, went on Twitter and acted like she was a, 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 a guy. She like made up this persona. So then she could get a job as a baseball writer, uh, for this website. And then she made him a Twitter, uh, account and she started verbally abusing women and, uh, demanding nudes and, uh, emotionally abusing women. And when she was finally found out, when they found out this, uh, person that they thought was this uh guy they found out they were being catfished by this uh young lady and she was like you know what i just got so far in um that i didn't know how to get out unscathed so i just stayed in um and just decided to act the way that i thought uh men act um which is horrifying and sad in its own in its own regard um but I think that that is uh, to a to a point where if Rachel Dolezal would actually be honest with herself, 
let alone us. But if she would just be honest with herself, I think that at this point she's so far in. It's like an undercover cop going in too deep where you can't separate uh, which story you are going to support. So I do think that when it's all said and done, if she had just gotten some therapy uh, at a younger age, uh, she would have been all right. Um, I still feel like if she had just shut up and been just a, a white woman, none of this would have happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if she had picked something else. Yeah, I, I feel like I'm Scandinavian today. Nobody would have cared. I won't go with that. <sighs> okay, I'm ready now. I'm ready. Okay, b- before we, can you hear me? Yes. Okay, I had to. I switched headphones to a different headphone, but it had a mic attached to the headphone. I just didn't know if it was gonna conflict or not. But if you can hear me, awesome. Yeah. No, you sound great. Um. Okay. And it's time for the book of lies. It's time for the book of lies. And it's time. For the book of lies, it's time for the book of lies. You know, I've written a lot of parody songs, and I think that I hate this one more than any other one. Like, most of my songs, I'm just like, hey, I love singing this. Book of Lies is just draining. It's a vampire book. Um, We're on chapter 29. We got one more chapter to go. Um... We already uh, have plans on how we're going to deal with Chapter 30, uh, mostly with Holy Water. Um, But here we go. Chapter 29, Survival Mode. Having failed to get my message across in the interviews I'd done for NBC in New York, and by the way, I just want to point out that I'm trying to make my voice more and more petulant as she goes through her interview and nobody believes her and everybody's asking questions that she doesn't want them to ask. And she just feels attacked all the time. I'm trying to make my voice just more and more, just not defeated, just petulant. Because I don't feel like she's defeated. I feel like she's just mad (laughs) that nobody will ask her what she wants to be asked. It's like when when an eight-year-old comes to school wearing a hat that says, it's my birthday, and nobody wants to ask him about their birthday. Having failed to get my message across in the interviews I'd done for NBC in New York, I hoped doing an interview for a magazine might give my story the in-depth look I felt it deserved and help resurrect my image. People, Elle, and Cosmopolitan all reached out to me, but I went with Vanity Fair because I was told its editors wanted to do for me what what they had done for Caitlyn Jenner who was featured on this June 2015 cover and given a long, sympathetic article that contained many beautiful images of her. Do I, do I need to point out the differences? Or should we just keep... I'm, I'm going to keep going. I'm going I'm to walk yeah, through. I'm walk, okay. The other reason I chose Vanity Fair was that a black journalist named Allison Samuels was going to write the piece, and I wanted to support her work in a publication that rarely features black women as a subject or author of its articles. To chapters ago you were saying never mind i did the interview in july and when it came out in august (laughs) i did the interview in july and when it came out in august i was devastated 
I wasn't on the cover. And the article was much shorter and much less empathetic than I was led to believe it would be. The article's bias against me was apparent in this title, Rachel Dolezal's True Lies, which fed into the fraudulent behavior narrative being told about me. All the photographs the magazine chose to use supported that point of view, making me look pissed off, uncomfortable, and by extension, guilty in the eyes of most readers. The article itself not only failed to clear up the confusion about me, it actually added to it by introducing new fallacies. Allison knew that I had been braiding hair for more than two decades and had been making money doing it for years. During our many conversations, she even asked for my advice about her own hair. But the article gave the impression that I had just only started braiding, making it sound like some sort of desperate last resort career move. With the magazine's reputation for delivering well-researched articles offering astute social commentary, I was hoping it might give my story the measured examination such a timely issue warranted, and that it would help me restore my reputation, but it ended up doing more harm than good. While the whole world was trying to tear me down, the whole world, really? Everybody's out to get her. Right. Really? The whole oh, world. world. Ambassador Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Let's let's stick with this. Whole world. Madagascar. <laughs> See Wait, Madagascar only cares about Madagascar. I understand. That's that's why Justin was pissed off with Madagascar. That's what they did, apparently. Now we know. Justin was really vague about it. I mean but now we know they had something they were against Rachel Dolezal too, or maybe they're the only country you weren't. They're not a country. They're a con. It's a, it's a, Madagascar is a country. It's a country. Yes, it's an island, but it's also a country. Yeah. Is it an atoll? Is it an atoll though? That's the question. Ooh, an atoll. I don't think it is. I feel like I just guessed on that one. Anyhow, I don't know. no, no, it's not. Oh well. There we go. I was guessing. An atoll is a ring-shaped reef island or chain of islands formed of coral. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. This not even close. Okay. Uh, while the whole world was trying to tear me down, Ambassador Atala Shabazz, the eldest daughter of one of my biggest heroes, Malcolm X, contacted me on LinkedIn, asking if she could give me a call. Of course, I replied, not fully believing it was her, but it was. She offered me some crucial support, assuring me that not everyone was fooled by Larry and Ruthann's televised denunciation of me disguised as parental concern. She told me about her own family's many trials with the media and how important it was for me to stay clear about who I was before the manufactured media frenzy had erupted in June. She consoled me by saying she could see how passionate I was about human rights and that perhaps I wasn't meant for a small local platform, that I was just experiencing growing pains as I moved towards a national, perhaps even international stage. Don't let this shape you, she said. Offering me a safe space where I could be free from the curiosities and funk and speak from my experience as an activist and academic, she invited me to be on a panel at a film festival for the United Nations International Day of the Girl Forum, which she was hosting in Louisville, Kentucky in October. 
I gratefully accepted and was rewarded with an amazing experience. During the panel discussion, I talked about the role of identity in the documentary Somewhere Between, which traced the story of four teenage girls who were adopted from China and raised in contemporary America, and the significance of the film Skin, which depicts the true story of Sandra Lang, a dark-skinned girl born to white parents during the apartheid era in South Africa. It's funny because only a few scant years later, she'd be on a forum about being a troll. Okay, I'm going to go back. Lang's story had always resonated with me because she was legally... Of course she was given this opportunity. Because she was legally classified as white but appeared black, she was shunned by the white community, rejected by nine schools, refused services stores, mocked, abused, and persecuted. As a teenager, she eloped to Swaziland with her Zulu boyfriend. When her father found out, he threatened to kill her. She became estranged from her family and was forced to live in some sort of racial limbo. Not black, not white, just misunderstood. There were very few people in the world I could identify with, but she was one of them. I was drawn to her story because of the way it depicted being categorized in different ways by different people. Feeling isolated and struggling to find a harmonious place in the world. By the way, there's a lot of typos in these last two chapters. I'm, 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 well, in this chapter. I'm guessing that they were trying to rush to get this done uh, before all of her 15 minutes ran out of the hourglass. So you're going to have to bear with me a little bit uh, because when I had this, when I was pausing it, it actually says struggling to finding a harmonious place in the world. Typos. Ooh. Wow. Rush through that. Yeah. Um, in the months preceding the trip to Louisville, I'd found myself being forced into an awkward position with people constantly judging my hair, skin, body, and speech to decide if I passed their test for blackness or whiteness. If my hair was too straight or my skin tone too light, people accused me of going back to being white and opting out of blackness for convenience sake. If my hair was too textured or my skin too tan, they faulted me for cultural appropriation or perpetrating a fraud. I love that phrase. It's so early 90s. Right alongside Hoopty. <coughs> As a response to this sort of scrutiny, I wore my hair in a loose, wavy pattern and tried to adopt an ethnically indeterminate look that underscored that I wasn't going back to feeling white or going back to looking white while not, I hope, offending anyone who felt I wasn't black. Fortunately, I could be myself in Louisville and, per Shabazz's suggestion, Discuss the films as I would have before the scandal erupted. It was comforting that everyone on the panel had experience with racial identity issues. Paula Williams Madison, a former executive of NBC Universal and a half Chinese, half black woman, commonly seen as black, discussed finding Samuel Lowe, the documentary she made about discovering her extended Chinese family. Lacey Schwartz talked about Little White Lie, the documentary she wrote and directed chronicling her experience growing up white and finding out in college that she was half black. In an interview on the news program Democracy Now! in June, Lacey has spoken harshly about me, but after meeting me and getting to know me, she became much more empathetic. She wasn't the only one there who came away with a better understanding of who I was. Towards the end of the panel discussion, a black woman in the audience took the microphone and said, I just want to apologize for being so wrong about you. 
You know what's funny? I am quite certain that there's <laughs> I am quite certain that there's tons of black men who I'm 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 I lost the joke, but I'm sure that there's like tons of people who have said the opposite about her. I'm so sorry for supporting you. And she'll never mention them. But this one black woman who allegedly again, no names. There's never names for the black women who support her. Um, unless they're big and can come back and be like, I didn't say that, Mama Morgan. Um, I Listen, just that's a really you. ambiguous statement, though. Like, she could have meant it the opposite of how Dole's all took it. That's very true. You know what? I just want to apologize for being so wrong about you means a lot. Like, my wife has told me that she wanted to apologize for being so wrong about me. And it was not a good statement, now that you mention it. It was not a good place to be in. Because we were talking about how I was a good coach and everything. And then she saw me, like, not come in and, and, and tell a kid to do a move that he needed to do. And she told him. And I was like, I'm a good coach. You didn't have to step in and do that. And she was like, I apologize for being so wrong about you. And it cut me to the quick because I knew I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I was wrong. I hope it cut. I hope it cut Rachel too. The trip was a healthy reprieve for me, but when I returned home, it was back to reality. Back to you stay focused. I was broke. I hadn't gotten a paycheck since June. I had no savings. I couldn't pay my student loans or medical bills. I had collection agencies calling me every other day. I had no assets I could sell, no house, no boat, no fancy car, no relatives who would ever be contributing to my finances. Child support. I'm I'm just saying, why didn't she file for some semblance of child support? She has children and their fathers aren't around. Isn't that how it works? Am I missing something here? Am I wrong in asking this question? If I'm wrong, let me know, and 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 I'll I'll um, I I will back away from it. But doesn't she have that option? Isn't that there? I mean, yeah, but I guess I don't know if it's in the same vein, if it's in the same vein as trying to take care of herself as far as far as like like the child support is supposed to help her take care of all the things that she's saying that she's and having un, she's unable to take care of at this point at this point ah. yeah child support also isn't that much right and it's dependent on the father's income and then there's also the thing of if you get the parent onto if you get the the second uh, parent onto child support they could it makes it easier for them to get custody. Ah. Okay, yeah. and, it, and, and shit varies from state to state, and there's yeah. no telling, you know, you know, there's people who get $25. You know, you know, then that's it. That's that's the, the extent of their child support. And then there's somebody, you know, who gets more. And then there's dudes who work under the table on purpose so they can say that they're not working so they can uh, keep their money. So it doesn't have to get yeah. So they can keep their money. So it's just yeah. I don't know if the the, the, the child support thing is really a, uh, an angle to to jump on. Okay, doggy. Well, now I know. It's complicated. Uh, mm-hmm. 
I had no assets I could sell, no house, no boat, no fancy car, and no relatives who would ever be contributing to my finances. With 180,000 miles, a cracked windshield, a broken side mirror, and two dense courtesy of icy roads and white supremacists, my Pontiac vibe wasn't worth the effort required to sell it. And thanks to my abysmally low credit score, I wasn't qualified to get any new credit cards or loans. I responded the way I always had, doing what had to be done. I cut out all unnecessary expenses, stopped paying car insurance, signed up for food stamps and state health insurance, and relied on the resourcefulness I learned as a child. I tried to sell greeting cards that I made as well as some of my artwork, but it seemed like everyone else was making more money off my art than I was. People who had bought some of my pieces years before took advantage of my name recognition being at an all-time high and sold my work for inflated prices online. Larry and Ruth Ann were amongst the vultures, selling some of my high school art pieces and telling people they were giving me the funds. Do I need to mention I never got a cent from them? Wild accusations further dampened my spirits and dissuaded me from creating any new work. Some people had the audacity to suggest that I printed photographs on the canvases and claimed that they were paintings. I once made a triptych in which the middle panel was a commentary on the famous romantic painting The Slave Ship, and choosing to ignore the two side pantle, pant, panels, pantles, oh my god, uh, people, I can't believe I tripped over that one, people accused me of plagiarizing J.W.M. Turner. The absurd implication that I wasn't a real artist but a fraud certainly didn't help sales. The only thing that generated any sort of income for me was my experience braiding and styling black hair. I was what's known as a kitchen stylist, working out of my home to pay the bills. In Washington State, it's legal to charge for braiding and non-chemical styling of black hair, thanks to Salamata Sila, the owner of Sally's African Hair Braiding in Kent, Washington, who sued the state for a right to braid black hair without a license. The fact that the cosmetology schools in Washington didn't teach prospective beauticians how to braid and style black hair helped her win the case and keep her shop open. I specialized in braiding, producing a look that was somewhat more African than African American. I could do individuals, cornrows, weaves, extensions, beaded extensions, crochet, jumbo twists, hot fusion, cold fusion, sew-in, tape-in, single-ease twists, micro-twists, Nubian twists, dreadlocks, folks, lokes, Faux lokes and micro braids. Barbecue shrimp, shrimp sandwiches, shrimp scampi. Grilled <laughs> shrimp, fake shrimp. Shrimp salad. That's all the shrimp I know. About half of my clients got a sew and weave and the other half came to me for braided styles. I occasionally maintain men's dreadlocks, but most of my clients were women or girls. In a good week, I'd have three or four appointments. In a bad one, none. Well, yeah, that makes sense. While juggling my four jobs, I had been forced to pare down my list of clients, and with the media portraying me as a lunatic or a fraud, it was hard to find new ones. Friends suggested I make YouTube videos or advertise, but having been accused of cultural appropriation, I knew that the few clients I might be able to pick up from Spokane's 2% black population wouldn't be worth the mockery I receive online. I didn't lose many clients after the media firestorm, but I didn't gain many new ones either. Braiding and styling black hair in the inland northwest had never been very lucrative, but it was extremely rewarding. 
there weren't a lot of black hairstyles in Spokane, so in some ways I felt like I was providing a vital public service, particularly when working with white parents who had adopted black children. These parents often didn't know the first thing about taking care of black hair. While hanging out at an indoor trampoline park with my kids one day, I saw a white couple with four black kids, all of whom had short, tangled, and unkempt hair. I handed the mother my business card and explained that I did black hair, and I was glad that I did. The woman told me that her three little girls had been getting teased at school for looking like boys, and had become so shy they were hardly talking to anyone anymore. The family lived in Idaho, a good two hours from Spokane, but the long drive to their house was worth it. After I gave the three girls long flowing braids, they couldn't stop hugging me. Their delight made the back pain and cramped fingers I had after 15 hours of braiding, five hours per girl, disappear. On another occasion, a white mother brought her 12-year-old daughter directly from the hospital to my house so I could do her hair. The girl, whose father was black and out of the picture, had attempted suicide because she felt like, he, like she didn't fit in the school and was unhappy with her life. When she saw how she looked in the new style I gave her, she beamed. The smile on her face was priceless. She came to me to get her hair done several times after that, and it seemed to elevate her spirits each time. There were some heartbreaking experiences as well. A white woman who had adopted a black girl once asked me to braid her 8-year-old daughter's hair. I did, but because money was tight, the woman didn't bring her daughter back to me until nearly a, a year had passed. It took me nine hours to detangle the combination of dreads and braids mixed with grass and lint that it collected from so much neglect. And I only charged $50 because that's all the woman could afford. I often charged white mothers who adopted black girls and didn't have much money far less than the standard rate for my services. Fearing that if I didn't, they might not bring their daughters back as often as it is necessary to keep black hair healthy. One of these mothers was the only client I lost because of the controversy surrounding me, telling me she felt betrayed. All of my black woman clients continued to come just the same because they knew I did quality work and liked me as a person. To them, I was just Rachel, and in their presence, I felt free to be myself. But even with their loyalty, I still couldn't make ends meet. How long do you think she um, has harbored feelings of angst and anger against black women um, who don't do for her. My God, probably forever. Yeah. Because her clients mean the world to her, uh, but the black women who don't do anything for her are angry sisters who are trying to bring her down. And also, I have a question. Um, does anybody else have, like... I don't know if it's a, 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 a issue. Maybe it's just a niggling in the back of my brain again about the fact that she offers white mothers lower prices because they can't afford to come in and get their hairstyle, but she charges the black mothers her normal fee. Yeah, I don't. Uh, man, it was it, this. Like I, part of me gets it I guess if like if she's thinking along the lines like she said that this white parent isn't going to bring the child as often 
So perhaps what's happening is the the black parent is bringing their child, you know, and so they do what they can when they're at home, but maybe they come to Rachel for something special. Or in the case, like she mentioned before, it's just a white mother with a mixed baby or adopted black child. Yeah, where the white parent probably it's you know like like with her talking about the situation where the child didn't come until a year later, which is basically like like I guess we are to assume that maybe her white clients aren't touching these kids' hair, which is really upsetting to me. (laughs) Is I mean I I actually believe that um, mostly because like it didn't. I didn't even learn how to do my hair properly until probably about five years ago. Um, but like nobody really knew how to do my hair when we like moved away from my dad's family. Right. So like a white mother just like not touching like her daughter's hair or like her child's hair in any sort of um, hair that actually needs to happen is a 100% realistic thing. And you've been up here in Washington. Like, how many how many black-owned salons are up here? See, none. I mean, like... I, There's, honestly, like, two. Honestly, there might be... I was going to say, there might be, like, three that I could think of. Um, maybe one in... Uh, nah, most of them are There's just out of houses. There's one in Most of the places that I saw were, like, barbershops. And then they'd yeah. have one stylist in the back of the barbershop who was just there. Like Woods Barbershop on uh, East 63rd in Tacoma. They had, or on Portland Avenue, I'm sorry, in Tacoma. They had a stylist in the back, but I I don't know any other ones. And there was literally only one stylist in the back. So I, I, I feel you because... Isabella, my daughter, her mom is white, and when uh, we separated, uh, her hair was not getting done properly on that side of the family, and it actually caused a bit of a thing where Isabella was straightening her hair out, and she had this fabulously curly hair, and there was a while where she was just, her mom was just straightening it, because that's all she needed to do. She'd get a flat iron and just straighten it. Um and it wasn't until uh, about maybe four years ago, three years ago, that Bella learned, because my wife had been talking with her about ways to style and do her hair. And it wasn't until like recently that uh, Gogo really just uh, picked it up for herself. And now she's able to, uh, she's in control of her hair's destiny as far as what she wants to do with it. So I feel what you're saying. Yeah, like I um I had a cuz my hair kept knotting cuz we like we didn't really know how to properly brush it or what products to use. So about like middle school, I think it was, I made my parents cut my hair. Just just had go cut cut everything almost off. And so I could learn how to do it as it grew out. Um so I totally like but at the same time like she should be also giving poor black mothers a discount. Sure. Or, or uh, also what I'm not hearing from her is like, okay, 
you understand that it's possible that these white women don't know what they're doing. It doesn't sound like she's teaching them for the in-between time or giving, or doesn't sound, I mean, that she hasn't come to that yet. Like giving them pointers like, hey, you should make sure that she sleeps on a satin pillowcase or this, or, you know, just whatever the things that she could, you know, kind of, whatever tips she could give them for those times where she's not going to, where she's not going to be there because they can't come every two weeks or every week or whatever it is to, to take care of, uh, you know, a, a black child's half black child's hair. Yeah. She's making these white mothers dependent on her. Right. And that's what, and I think that's, what's kind of like, because it's just like, okay, well fine. And I, and I guess maybe that's what I'm missing as far as like from the book overall is that there's these instances where she could, it's like she's she's helping for herself. You know, she's helping people, but it's really to, to big herself up. It's not to really help them. Yeah, it all comes back around to being about her and not about her clients or about anybody else. It all just comes back in circles to her. Just checking. <laughs> um <laughs> Let me see here. My fan, my financial situation got so desperate, I started to consider some of the offers I had been given uh, when I was one of the most popular trending topics online. In the weeks following my public shaming, the entertainment industry was full of ideas about how I could be turned into a commodity and offer me all sorts of opportunities. The easiest ones to dismiss were the six-figure offers from Vivid Entertainment, one for $150,000, the other for $175,000 to appear and engage in four different sex acts on this porn site, wefuckblackgirls.com. I couldn't say no fast enough. The British company Ocon also wanted temporary use of my body, asking me to model its underwear. But I was seeking credibility building options rather than gigs that required me to take my clothes off, so I passed. I can't. I, I can't. I can't. I can't get. I can't. Um, I understand that that is it's completely her decision. She made the decision to not do that, and I I'm fine with that. But um, I just want to uh, take time out to point out that she didn't have to say it in a way that sounded like it was denigrating sex work. You know, um, that she could have just you know it's not for me it's not for everybody and i feel that but you don't have to go out i couldn't say no fast enough i don't want to uh require taking my clothes off like you make it sound like it's shameful or something and it's not just just you know i turn those offers down vivid offered me one hundred fifty thousand dollars and one hundred seventy five thousand dollars, and although i needed the money i turned the money down I don't know. I just feel like there was a way that that could have been. Maybe if she hadn't been rushing through getting the rest of the book written, she could have said it better or differently. But again, and uh, side note, listeners, remember, no shame in being a sex worker. So stop shaming sex workers. Um, okay, that was all. That that's That's all. Now, a variety of television shows contacted her as well. Which this one pisses me off so much. Oh, I was invited to be a contestant on The Amazing Race. Oh my God, I want to be on that show so bad. 
I want to be on that show as badly as I wanted to be on Double Dare when I was eight. Like, I want to be scared to bungee jump off something. You'd be like, I can't do it. I don't know, because I'm scared of heights. I can't do it. So, yeah. VH1 flew me to New York City to discuss the possibility of having me appear in an episode of its reality show, uh, Family Therapy with Dr. Jen, with either Larry and Ruth Ann or Ezra and Zach. Dr. Phil, Steve Harvey, and Oprah show... Ayanla? Ayanla. Ayanla Van Zant. Yeah. Yeah. Ayanla Van Zant. Ayanla. I keep saying it. It's the braces. Ayanla. Ayanla. Okay. Ayanla fixed my life also reached out. One to capitalize on the storyline that I was misguided and needed mental help. Knowing that none of these shows will help me rebuild my life, but one is called Fix My Life. I don't get it. I turned them all down. No, that that show is bad. That's side note that show is like she's not really I think a a licensed uh, therapist and I think a lot of those you know I don't think Dr. Phil is either but they're no that is definitely more to entertain us who watch it than to help the people on the show so car crash is not cleanups okay the only offer I got that might possibly lead to me having a serious discussion about my situation came from the major networks After my appearance on the Today Show, CNN, Fox, and ABC expressed interest in talking with me. But respectable news organizations such as those don't pay for interviews, so I kept searching. Running out of money and options, I agreed to be interviewed on November 15, 2015 for The Real, a daytime talk show whose hosts are all women of color for $5,000. I also asked for Franklin to be flown in with me and for him to be given a tour of Warner Brothers Studios. After aspiring to be a veterinarian and an author, Franklin now hoped to become an actor. Arranging this tour was one of my birthday presents to him. He had just turned 14. I was promised that the discussion on the show would focus on my art and motherhood. To ensure that this would happen, I vetted a series of questions in the weeks leading up to the taping. But as soon as the camera started rolling, one of the hosts, Lonnie Love, asked, So what is it about the black culture that you love so much? Is it the men? And I immediately knew this wasn't going to be the interview I was promised. She went on to ask, are you ashamed of being white? As the audience booed, Franklin tried to walk onto the stage to tell them to stop. But the production team held him back, saying they couldn't let a minor go on camera. Since the show's host wanted to talk about everything but my art and motherhood, I tried to weave in some tidbits of education regarding the convoluted worldview of race and the ways in which race isn't a biological reality, but they are ignored, and the conversation steered back to drama and mockery. When the host asked me to admit that I was white, and I acknowledged that yes, I was born to white parents, the audience cheered wildly. When I went on to explain that I identified as black, they booed. The all-too-familiar blight of American society had reared its ugly head once again. Applause for whiteness and jeers for blackness. No, boo-boo. Oh, <laughs> God. Oh, my God. She's oh, wow. Uh, like, she's, like, turning this into, like, look at them clapping for white supremacy. Kind of, ugh. And more of, more else. They're black. 
cheering for white supremacy. Why can't they just congratulate me for knowing who I am? She's so annoying. She's so, and she's, she's more, I don't, well, she's, she's very annoying talking about the, how the media is reacting to her and what they're doing. When it's just like, if you're old enough and have paid attention enough to when people get interviewed in these kind of salacious situations, they don't, they get to the the entertainment value of it, the meat of whatever it is. So why wouldn't they ask you about, you know, how you came to blackness, quote unquote, or why, or what you care about, or it's just, it feels really naive. And it's just like, are you real? And it's almost like, well, are you that naive? You can't possibly be that naive. You've been telling us how smart you are this whole book, but now it feels like you're getting, you're acting like you're getting blindsided by these questions. I mean, if I if I got in trouble at school as a kid and my mom told me that we were going to talk later, like she gave me the call from work that every kid got in the 90s, when I get home, we going to talk. And you knew that that wasn't going to be a good talk. Even if I try my hardest to push the conversation towards video games, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, uh, Earthbound, um... Ooh, Duncan, or, uh, oh man, I forgot what those things are called. Gummy worms, gummy bears. The conversation is going to go back to where the true issue lies, which is my behavior. It doesn't matter what you try and vet. It didn't matter what she thought she'd be able to, she doesn't have the power here. You have no power here. So it's really funny because as much as she protests, um, you know, being white and having like white behaviors, she continues to go back to this naive, but I just didn't know why don't people understand white lady thing. Like. Like, like, she's like, I just don't understand. Why would they do this? Why won't they just let me be who I want to be? Why do they keep asking me these questions? What are you doing, man? Oh, I'm breaking into this house. Why are you breaking into that house? Why not? Don't you think it's illegal? Look, man. Why won't you just let me do what I want to do? Why do you keep asking me these questions? Why aren't you asking me about my shoes? Nice shoes, Right? Right? Agree? Bacon, you killed that. <laughs> I think uh, this woman. It's, it's, there's no way to. <sighs> it's strange because this would have really made a good psychological study. She would have made a good psychological study if she had just been upfront and honest about her situation. She could have written a book about how she got to this point and what made her feel this way. And but instead, she's like, "Why won't they answer what I want? Why won't they ask? Why won't you give me baby bouncies when I ask for them? Why do you keep giving me regular rolls? You know, I can't kick the regular rolls. I don't want to kick them. Give me baby bouncies." And you stand there arguing with the pitcher for like. 30 minutes. I said baby bouncies. I did too. 
Okay. This was the first time I had appeared visibly pregnant on television, and Lonnie had the nerve to joke about it and ask if my baby was black or white. After TMZ leaked the story about my pregnancy and people began speculating about who the father might be, this became a sensitive topic for me. Being black and living in an environment that was mostly white had already forced me to experience the anxiety-producing gaze of the other. And having my body scrutinized in this way only added to my unease, to the point where I had come to dread going to the grocery store. When Lonnie... When Lonnie asked me about my pregnancy, I gave her a look that clearly illustrated how I was feeling. You really don't want to go there, bitch, my eyes said. You'd better back the fuck down. I later found some consolation when a few people observed online that only a... I later found some consolation when a few people observed online that only a black woman could shut another black woman down like that. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, so, like, I don't even... Okay, so I don't even think that she necessarily hates black women as she is absolutely, like, completely jealous and envious of black women. Oh my God, she is, and I, I, I because, because everything I hear, she's just like it, it. Really comes off as like, how dare they be something I want, and how dare they wow. do it so beautifully? Once again, I mean, I just like she so desperately wants to be a black woman, but she clearly is not in other black. Black women just being there makes her angry. I feel like she wants it so badly that even when people say stuff that probably is a joke, she takes it seriously and she put it in her book. I don't I don't know. I feel like a lot of the stuff that she's not quoting, but random people that she puts in her book are saying to her is just like really a put down. She's like, thank you. <laughs> Others fixated on the idea that I'd admitted to being black or admitted to being white. When I acknowledged that's, that was how I was born. Much to my relief, another segment of the population expressed their dislike for the way the host had handled the interview. As terrible as I felt afterwards, this appearance seemed to generate much more sympathy for me than the Vanity Fair article had. Maybe people have begun to feel that after four months of constant abuse, I had been hit by enough punches and it was no longer funny to see me get beat up. Once the interview was over, I asked Franklin to bring out the portrait I painted of the host as a gift, handed it to them, and then went straight to the green room, tore my mic off, and let the production team know how pissed I was. Oh, dramatic. Yes. Scary. Yes. 
I didn't say anything to the women who were there, but I went in the back and let the managers know I was very, very unhappy with their black women. Somebody speak to your manager about your black people. <laughs> and I pointed a lot. And I said I was going to write a sternly worded letter. For Franklin's sake, I managed to curb my anger enough to get to the Warner Brothers tour, but it took all of my willpower to do so. I had gone on the show with two goals, make enough money to keep my little family afloat and turn my reputation around. I comforted myself knowing that I achieved at least one of them. After my attorney and agent's fees had been deducted, I had enough money to pay our rent and bills and buy food in November and December. Beyond that, who knew? In every other regard, the trip to Los Angeles was a disaster. I was done trying to explain myself to people on television or in magazines. They didn't get me and weren't giving me a fair hearing, so why bother? I retreated to the cocoon I created for myself in Spokane, emerging only to run errands and turn in job applications, and left wondering when or if people would ever be able to understand where I was coming from. The final chapter in the Book of Lies is called Rebirth. Rebirth, okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm, glad now, I'm glad it's almost over. Now, here's the question. Uh, Shante, there's uh, one more chapter, but then there's also an epilogue. So we're going to do the oh, epilogue God. at the same time, most likely. We're, it, how, how many pages are they? Looks like it's like ten. Oh, Okay. Then, yeah, I guess we would do the yeah, our, our last chapter in the epilogue, yeah. Power together. through! One more set! Yeah. Because yeah. there's the... I've been, I've been thinking to myself that it's like, okay, there's this week, there's next week, and then whatever review thing that you had brought up, I think the, the last episode or whatever, and it's just like, okay, we can get through this. We can get done. So, yeah. Just get it done. Power through! We don't need to let this stretch out another three weeks. Come on, man. I got you. Come on, push. Power through. Get that bar up. <laughs> One more rep. You got oh, it. Man. man, I'm shaky. You got it. <laughs> God. Uh, oh, I man. need to go back to the gym like today to work I through just, all this. Thanks. It is. Because I'm it, because I'm mixed race and I'm trans, like like everything she says just like hits me in my soul and my soul curls up in rage. I can like, stop co-opting trans issues for your um, coping mechanism. That would be great. Stop it. It's not even remotely the same. And stop co-oping adoptees' struggle. That's rude. Mm-hmm. I love you, Bacon. I mean, I, I've said that. I've said that dang near every morning for the past uh, <laughs> thirty-seven years. But now. I'm saying it, and I really mean it from the bottom of my heart, not just from the bottom of my stomach. I mean it from the bottom of my heart. I dig you, Bacon. You are endlessly I'm, awesome. I mean, it does make me feel some kind of 
way, in a good way, that every morning people wake up and they sing my praises. <laughs> <laughs> it feeds yeah. my little Leo heart. Oh, that's awesome. Like, fuck yeah, bacon. Fuck yeah. Bacon. bacon. <laughs> like, I'm a fad. I don't even have to try. <laughs> bacon is trending. <laughs> I know. I'm just like, oh, look at me this morning. Ready to go. Getting, getting everyone started off right. You're like always a trending topic on Twitter. <laughs> For real, though. Hashtag no, we love bacon. Like, I legit don't know when the bacon, like, um, fetish thing started. Like, it was so weird. Like, I remember just all of a sudden it started slowly where people were just like, Bacon's the most amazing thing ever. Let's just do bacon everything. And I'm like, what? When did... I mean, I know, like, everybody's always liked bacon. Like, that's just kind of a thing. But the the weird obsession with it, where it's like, you see bacon patterned ties. Like, I don't know yeah. when that started. Yeah, no, that's yeah. just, no. Nah. I feel you. Yeah. Ba- bacon like, lip balm. Yeah. It, I don't. Ocean and all kinds of strange things. I don't what? know when that happened. Hmm, I might make this tonight. Tater tots with some creamy gravy and jalapenos and cheese and bacon. Um, one of my friends made candied bacon cinnamon rolls. That sounds so wonderful. Yeah. Do they live near you? Can I make it again? Can I make it again like in December? Can I make it again in like December like the ninth or maybe the eighth? I'm not <laughs> I can I can probably find the recipe. Oh my God. You know, we went to um, Universal Studios Hollywood recently with Kid Awesome while we were down there for his football tournament. And um, we kept walking past Cinnabon. And oh my God, I haven't had Cinnabon in like at least three years because they're so just jaw unhealthy. Like, you know, they're unhealthy. It's a brick of cinnamon roll, for God's sake, with vanilla cream cheese poured over the top. And. My beloved wife, the wonderful Nisha, kept saying, you know what? Just stop and get one, Rashani. Just get one. And I was like, no, <laughs> I can't. I'm resisting. And I don't know if I meant it. My, I, I, I wanted one. I still want one. I'm actually rubbing my palms right now thinking about it. But <laughs> my biggest fear is that with my braces, I won't be able to actually eat them. And so on the 15th, I go to I go back to my orthodontist for my first um follow-up appointment since getting the braces and let me tell you i'm gonna throw my microphone down and storm to the green room and let the producers know how unhappy i am about these damn braces because i am (laughs) i am hungry oh so hungry i just had some white rice with butter salt and pepper which not a bad thing it's actually one of my favorite things to eat i love rice but really I want chicken. I want to live. I want to live. <laughs> I mean, I'm probably even... gonna eat like chicken for the first time in forever while I'm on vacation because I'll actually have access to decent chicken. You're gonna bring that back up again, aren't you? <laughs> Listen, my family. Ugh. You know how, like, every family has got, like, those, like, few things that nobody else can make as good? Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. My family, it's ribs and it's chicken. Chicken anything, but like ribs and chicken. And apparently my mom makes a potato salad that makes um, black ladies in church fight in line for. Ooh. Okay, so when, so, you, go, when you go down, just bring some back, put it in your refrigerator. <laughs> yeah, so like, I don't, I've been spoiled by really good ribs and really good chicken. So when anybody's like, this chicken's bomb, I'm like, I don't. It, it's it's okay, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I, I also have, like, the same feeling towards, like, ice cream. Because I grew up in Wisconsin, and, like, the ice cream there. Oh. I would have thought so you would have said the I'm cheese. Arizona, and people are like, Cold Stone is great. What? I would have thought you would have said the cheese in Wisconsin, but okay. I'll... I mean, the cheese is lit, but, I mean, ice cream. Yeah. Like, it, would... it, it's so thick and fat. It's so good. Yeah, I would think someplace like that would have awesome kind of dairy products because it's right there. Yeah, you, you just like oh, you just need to go just for the ice cream. Like, just put up with the racism and just eat the ice cream. <laughs> Did they just call me a nigger? This strawberry ice cream. Oh my god, I'm not even mad anymore. Right, it's just like oh, double scoop, please. <laughs> you can call me an N word. Just give me, just give me a double scoop. Uh, yes, yes, I am the nigger in the yellow shirt. <laughs> I'm not even mad they put that on the receipt for my name when I said my name's Rashani. Uh, for future reference, um, it's R-A-S-H-A-N, you, you don't care? It's okay. Um, thank, thank you for the ice cream, sir. I'm gonna leave out the back <laughs> like you told me to come in. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> There's so many sundown towns that that's probably right. I'm okay with that. Go Packers. Um... <laughs> The only black people they like are Packer fans. <laughs> um, are Packers? No, are um, Packer are the Packers? Donald Driver's the best black person ever, huh? Right? Am I right? Yeah. You know what yeah. I do want to do? I want to eat strawberry ice cream, um, like now. But I want to eat strawberry ice cream and take some of that magic uh, fudge that like turns hard, turns to a hard shell on top of it. So I want to get like strawberry ice cream and like level it out so it's smooth and then pour that magic fudge on it so it gets a hard crackle and then put more strawberry ice cream over the top of it and like layer it three times and then put that into the freezer and freeze it till it's solid and then I'll have chocolate covered strawberry ice cream. Celebrate amongst yourselves. That sounds intense. It does. I don't know if I'm ready. Oh, that sounds freaking amazing. I also want to make one that's cinnamon roll because now I got cinnamon roll in my mind. So like uh, uh, sweet cream ice cream with cinnamon in it and then just layer the uh, cream cheese frosting in between and then just put little flecks of cinnamon roll bun uh, into the ice cream and then freeze it. I think I started something. I think you did. <laughs> I think you did. I think I'm going to open up a... Um, a ice cream shop, and it's going to be called Nigga Not You. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. I love it. And we're only going to, it's, it's still the same business model. We're going to let five people in at a time, and it's going to be five people at random. So it's going to be like a line, and we're going to be like, you can come in, and 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 Nigga Not You. <laughs> oh, my God. Wait, and where do you live again? California, it's liberal. We're okay with that. No, no, no. That's what I'm saying. It would work. It, it would. It would only work in a place like that. Like it also probably work in Portland. It would work up here or Atlanta. 
Or, oh, I would totally work in Atlanta. It would work in Atlanta. It would go. And then you could charge premium prices. Mm-hmm. Because you got the opportunity <laughs> and then sell the T-shirts, too. Matter of fact, I need to make a nigga not you T-shirt. Because we're going to be big. We're going to do this. Um, Bacon, go ahead and do your shout-outs. Um, you know what? I'm going to have to shout-out literally everybody. Like, everybody. Get a shout-out. Like, you guys, all my unreasonable Friday people, just everybody, because I'm I'm super new to podcasting. It's been like what two months, mm-hmm. two, three months. Uh, I'm super new to podcasts as well, and everybody has just been so welcoming and so helpful and just absolutely wonderful. I feel like I have a lot of support, so I just kind of want to give a big thank you to all of you guys. I am uh I'm actually pretty I'm 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 thrilled that we met. We find you fascinating and dope. And by the way, I mean me and Solace. I don't know about uh Shante. Uh, I don't speak for Shante. Shante speaks for herself. But myself and Solace, we find you endlessly awesome and fascinating and uh and, and a wonderful artist. Matter of fact, I gotta go buy a new uh piece from you uh in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, and everybody's been like, it's everybody, like all the all the podcasting folks, like even Rod bought one of my pieces, and I'm sitting here like, I love all of you guys, thank you. <laughs> I just feel so supported right now. That's awesome. That's awesome. Because bacon's awesome, right? Like everybody is so great. I'm sorry though. Every time you say bacon's awesome, I do flash back to the way that I would think about bacon like literally a year ago. <laughs> bacon is awesome. <laughs> it's like it's like my whole voice turns lecherous, and I'm not thinking about you. I'm thinking about food. Like, yeah, bacon is wonderful. <laughs> like, I don't even mean for my voice to change. It's just been so long since I've had bacon. Oh, these braces suck. Right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> right? So, Justin, go ahead and do your shout-outs, man. Uh, appreciate it, man. Appreciate it. Uh, shout-out to you guys for being gracious hosts. Uh, shout-out to Rashani. Shout-out to Shante. Shout-out to Bacon. Uh, definitely check out A Reasonable Fridays. It is amazing. I love the podcast. Um, shout-out Black Women. Believe Black Women. Trust Black Women. Um, shout out to you, the listener, for taking time out of your day to listen to the single simulcast. We appreciate it. This single simulcast episode 269. Thank y'all so much for checking us out. Um, we'll be back again real, 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 real soon in a week. Uh, we'll holler at y'all later. Y'all be good. We're out. Peace. This is single simulcast. Don't know about now, did you say?